I'll call the meeting to order at 6 o'clock. Roll call, please. Councilmember Duran. Here. Councilmember McReynolds. Here. Councilmember Johnson. Here. Councilmember Halter. Here. Councilmember Campos. Here. Deputy Mayor Dr. Sanchez Palacios. Here. And Mayor Schrader. Here. Seven members present. We do have a quorum. Pledge of Allegiance. Who would like to do the favors tonight? Okay. Thank you, Councilmember Johnson. City Council Communications. We heard once already, but Councilmember Johnson. Thank you. If we could pull my slide up. Councilmember Johnson, I didn't receive a slide today. No? Nope. Oh. Well, shoot. Okay. Pardon me uh, while I pull up the slide myself so I can read it to you. All right, so, so I have some community events coming up Thursday. That's uh, November 2nd at 9 a.m., breakfast at Hill Street Cafe. Saturday, November 4th, 1 p.m., coffee at Starbucks at Telegraph and Day Road. Wednesday, November 8th at 7 p.m., Rincon Brewery at Telegraph and Ashwood. And as I do with these things, of course, if you ride the bus or walk, I will buy you uh, let's see, hash browns, coffee, or something to drink, depending on where we are. Also on Saturday, November 11th, that's Veterans Day and the weekend, of course, but from 10 to noon will be our second Saturday cleanup. Uh, we'll be meeting at the intersection of Phil and the bike path right there by the, the county square. The approximate address is 5625 Phil. If you'd like to get this in writing somewhere, oh, my sincere apologies. I did see it come in late oh. in the afternoon and we missed it. So okay. we have there we go. Now. apologies. That, there it is right there. Thank you so much. And can we go to the next slide, please? So uh, just catching the, the council up on some external assignments because there's been um, some developments on this. Uh, I am your representative on the Ventura County Transportation Commission. And there was some drama in the Santa Barbara Ventura area as the Santa Barbara uh, Council of Governments, one of their subcommittees was discussing, wouldn't it be great if we could ex extend Metrolink into Santa Barbara? And, and unfortunately, there was a news story went out that said agencies are looking to expand Metrolink service. Um, that was not a discussion that happened at Ventura County Transportation Commission. Uh, and it hasn't actually happened at the Santa Barbara Council of Governments. Um, but so it, it would be possible for Metrolink to go into Santa Barbara County. Uh, just as it goes, it dips into San Diego County when it goes down to Oceanside. The, the thing is that it would cost a lot of money. And the county of Santa Barbara has money that they could put to that. The issue is that Ventura County would also have to put money towards it. And as you probably know, we in Ventura County do not have a dedicated transportation tax. And so it's not clear if we could put the money together for something like that. So um, that is why I think there have been a bunch of meetings about Metrolink with elected officials 
to, to make sure everybody understood what was going on. Um, some takeaways from the last Metrolink meeting for elected officials. One is, I didn't put it on this because it's not official, but look for some exciting growth in code share opportunities. This would be the sort of thing where you could buy a Metrolink ticket and use it on Amtrak. And they don't have that everywhere. If we could have that, uh, this side of Union Station, that would be fantastic. But also, you know, I wanted to point out Metrolink is still below 50% of the pre-pandemic ridership. Their highest day ever when it was a free fare, when they did not charge, that was their highest ridership since the pandemic, and it just hit 50% of what used to be the daily average. So Metrolink continues to continue struggling to recover. And so as, as we, especially as we look at the general plan, and being, you know, having transit-oriented development, I, I think we all need to bear in mind that um, it's, it's tenuous. And so those are my updates on external assignments. On a side note, I want to thank staff. I want to thank Mr. Hagland and Leona Rollins for help with some tenants and referring them to the Housing Rights Center. Uh, it's, there will probably be a workshop hosted by the Housing Rights Center it may not be till February or March, but they have been a great help to some of the tenants already. And I know that next year we are supposed to be looking at tenant protections, and I think maybe working with the Housing Rights Center would be something we could look at when we get to goal setting. Thank you, Mayor. You bet, uh, Councilmember Campos. Thank you. Mm. Thank you. Uh, first off, bef before we discuss the slides, I wanted to mention the Clean Power Alliance sent a press release today that because of the public safety power shutdowns during the wind events in Ventura County, uh, some of the Clean Power Alliance lines will also be down because they share some transmission. Um, Second thing, not on the slides, is we had the uh, Saturday before Halloween event this weekend, and I sat at one of the stores and gave out individual pieces of candy to 1,200 children, candy and or pretzels. 1,200 children were downtown this Saturday in three hours for the Halloween event. Um, and part of why I mention that is because a lot of people ask, well, how come you were there and I didn't see Councilmember Halter there? There's so many events right now that we're all at events all the time. You'll just see one or two of us occasionally. And um, in November, I will hold office hours at the Avenue Library at uh, the Simpson Street office only on the 12th and the 26th, but from 1230 to 430. This Wednesday, the Westside Community Council will meet at 6.30 p.m. at Bell Arts Factory or over Zoom. Um, you can email them to get the Zoom link at westsidecommunitycouncil at gmail.com. Our new city manager, I believe, will make an appearance there, and the board elections will take place. So anyone from the West Side wanting to get more involved, that's a place to start. The Appointments Review Committee will be meeting also Wednesday, November 1st at 5.30.
to discuss some possible changes to council protocols and consequences of harassment of city employees by council members. Any, anyone from the public who wants to participate can comment at the meeting at the beginning before the formal presentation. Um, the Westside Community Development Corp is having an idea hub meeting and since their office is so small and we want as many people as possible to be there, that will take place next Saturday, November 4th in Kellogg Park. What an idea hub is, is people sitting together, brainstorming, having a good time forming community. Some of the ideas that have come out of previous idea hubs are the taco week, um, the neighborhood cleanups, uh, adopt a block, and several others that are not on the top of my head right now. November 11th, we'll have Adopt-A-Block and Laundry of Love. So if you want to volunteer for either of them, you can call the WCDC. Their phone number is on this slide. And uh, the next slide, if you can, is uh, on November 8th, the City of Ventura is sponsoring a dis disabled access forum where people can learn what the regulations and code changes are currently to provide disabled access. This is focused on the public spaces, restaurants or other businesses. Um, and it's primarily geared towards architects and engineers, but the public is welcome to attend. You can scan the QR code on the flyer or um, on the city website because you have to register to attend. And finally, also I don't have a slide, there are some flyers in the front by the speaker podium. Um, the, the Independent Living Resource Center is putting on a Zoom forum to encourage people who are not with disabilities to become allies or friends of people with disabilities. That conversation will take place November 13th from 3 p.m. to 4.30 on Zoom. And I encourage anyone interested to attend. You can RSVP and the information is on the flyer in front. Thank you. Madam Deputy Mayor. Thank you, Mayor. Um, Madam, Madam Deputy Mayor, if I may, my yes. sincere apologies for interrupting. It seems like we're having some technical problems with WebEx and we're not able to get the audio feed out. I'm not certain I'm gonna be able to resolve it without ending the meeting and starting the meeting again. We have four participants on virtually right now. In addition to the challenges we're having with WebEx, our live interpreters are not here. Uh, we are reaching out to them to see where they are, but we do not currently have our live uh, interpreters here as well. So I'm working through WebEx. Unfortunately, the folks who are on WebEx right now can't hear that. There's no audio in WebEx. I am working to resolve that. It may mean uh, that I have to end the, the meeting in WebEx, which will have no impact on us here uh, in the room, and I will notify uh, folks as well that uh, that they are having challenges with the with the WebEx via chat, so that everyone knows what's going on. But I did just want to let you all know that, let folks listening on YouTube and uh, folks in the room as well that we are working to resolve uh, the challenges that we're having right now. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so just quickly wanted to um, highlight some staff uh, commendations. Uh, congratulations to Nalita 
Baburka, who was recently uh, promoted to Enterprise Applications Analyst in IT. I'd like to welcome um, Christopher Pataxil, um, who is a new hire in water distribution, as a water distribution supervisor. Um, and certainly uh, want to highlight uh, and give extra kudos to our fire captain, Sean Hughes, fire engineer, Kyle Cortez, firefighter paramedics, Rocky San Filippo, and Armando Nuri, um, who helped in responding to a hiker and a dog in need. Um, also in, uh, in our water area, uh, our water distribution operator, Logan Hargett, um, received a resident commendation for helping resolve an issue at a resident's home. Um, Officer Tristan Cullum uh, also received a citizen commendation after uh, a ride-along. And then lastly, uh, public safety dispatcher Sarah um, Schattinger, who received a supervisor commendation for showing a distressed caller uh, compassion while providing quick research resources to help officers on the call. Um, on Saturday, uh, Councilmember McReynolds, uh, our chief, um, Police Chief uh, Schindler, our city manager Ayub, and myself um, attended the grand opening of Cafe Fisel's um, second location in Ventura, across from Ventura High School. Um, this is uh, their second location of many more to come, I think. So uh, really excited to have been able to attend that. And then uh, folks might be uh, noticing some uh, activity going on on Bristol Road. Um, it is a, a, a resurfacing project uh, that began this week, and we're excited to, um, to get that street uh, fixed. I know we've heard a lot from our uh, residents who live in that area, and uh, planting of the trees uh, will be completed, um, will complete this project. So um, fixing of the streets, removing trees, but also replacement of trees um, is all part of it. And, um, also, in regards to streets, we have the Slurry Seal Streets Maintenance Project that started on Wednesday of last week, um, and that's uh, beginning on Telegraph Road from Hill Street to Kimball Road. So if you see folks working, um, adhere to safety and precautions um, as we have individuals working out there. And last but not least, uh, knowing that we have Halloween and the fall season, a lot of people uh, decorate or use pumpkins um, as their decorations. And just wanted to let folks know that on Sunday, November 5th, from 10 a.m. until 1 p.m. at the Cornucopia Gardens off of Telephone Road near Johnson Drive, um, they'll be doing the Don't Trash It, Smash It um, sustainability disposal of your pumpkins. And basically, it's an event that you can come with the whole family, um, and you'll be able to smash your pumpkins, um, learn about composting, help maintain the compost pile, and uh, there'll be garden tools provided, and of course, everyone of all ages are welcomed. Thank you. Councilmember McReynolds. So uh, really quick, uh, I did get an opportunity to attend the Ventura Council of Governments uh, dinner with uh, Councilmember Johnson and his lovely wife on Thursday night, so it was great seeing all the other council members from across the county and a couple city managers. Uh, got an opportunity to tour the ocean outfall uh, this morning with uh, Councilmember Duran, uh, and I participated on the SCAG Green Parent Technical Advisory Committee today. So um, I will be attending the Ventura County Civic Alliance uh, State of the Region on uh, 
the first. Um, and as uh, Councilmember Campos pointed out, the Appointments and Recommendation Committee is meeting this Wednesday at 5.30 to discuss the council protocols. Everybody is welcome, and uh, we try to make that a more iterative process for people to participate in. A uh, quick reminder, tomorrow is Halloween, as Councilmember, uh, or sorry, Deputy Mayor, uh, Dr. Jeanette Sanchez-Palacios pointed out, just make sure everybody you watch out for the little ones out there. Um, and then on Sunday, just a reminder, it's the end of daylight saving time. Uh, so at 2 a.m., put your clocks fall forward, wait, you fall back, right? Yeah, we fall back, spring forward. So yeah, we're falling back. And then finally, a friend of mine uh, reached out to me and asked that I announce that on Monday, we'll, we'll be in session in council, but next Monday, Operation Greenlight uh, for the veterans at the Government Center will be taking place at 515. Um, this is, uh, we have over 38,000 veterans that live in Ventura County. And this is a special time leading up to Labor Day or Veterans Day that we recognize them. And uh, that'll be again at the Government Center at uh, 515 on uh, Monday night. Thank you. Councilmember Durant. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. I appreciate that. And thank you for mentioning daylight savings. Uh, we actually don't announce that at church because um, everybody shows up on time the following Sunday because they, they don't move their clocks back. So it's wonderful. Um, I, I wanted to share with you, uh, we, I went to a uh, ribbon cutting for the Black Box Theater at St. Bonaventure last Wednesday, and it was absolutely amazing. And I'm so excited for St. Bonaventure and their live performances that start on November 30th. Um, I'm excited for 2024. They're going to be doing Grease, which I thought was really cool. But just kudos to them and, and the great job that they're doing over there. Um, helping those students really understand their giftings and their talents. I also, uh, this week, was at Myers, Witters, Gibson, Jones, and Feingold at their uh, ribbon cutting right down here on California Street. They have a new law office there. Um, they've, been, they've been around for a long time, but they're on the East End. And they are such an amazing uh, law firm because they're very philanthropic, and they, their, board, um, their, their staff are on boards. They serve on boards. They do pro bono work for nonprofits and I, they served several that I've worked on and they're just a, a first a first class law firm and they're right down the street and so I, I just want to say congratulations to them and lastly tomorrow night I'm opening I'm having an open open yard at my house and uh, for anybody who wants to come over from five to seven we've we've been doing this every year for the last several years and people are welcome to come over we're gonna have hot dogs nachos hot chocolate coffee cornhole, plenty of candy for the kids, and it's just a, a time to get together uh, from 5 to 7 and just hang out and talk, and uh, that'll be tomorrow night. So, oh, and my address is 6967 Crawley Avenue. Thank you very much. Um, it wasn't on the agenda. I need to go to, oh, I'm sorry. I just wanted to add, I live at 41 North Wake Forest, and I got like the regular full-size Snickers and Reese's Peanut Butter Cups this year. <laughs> Do I, do I have anything else? Okay, uh, I'm gonna go to closed session report, Mr. City Attorney. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, we did have closed session tonight on the items on the agenda and there's no reportable action. Thank you. Okay, on to City Manager. I'm sorry, Doug, did you? Okay. Thank you, Mayor Schrader. Uh, this is the last week to take a community-wide survey on undergrounding utilities. Uh, we're seeking public input and prioritizing the undergrounding utilities projects in the city. So please visit the city's website for a brief five-minute survey that's 
available in English and multiple other languages. The deadline to participate is the end of this week, and it was extended uh, one additional week to allow more input to come in. Uh, thank you, Councilmember Campos, for mentioning the uh, accessibility forum and housing workshops. We have two uh, ADA accessibility training sessions that will be hosted here in the community room at City Hall on November 8th. Uh, a big thank you to Sean Huff, our chief building official, and Tim Fisk in the Building and Safety Division for organizing this and many other recent workshops and training sessions. Uh, on November 15th, the, the city is hosting its next housing forum, and that's at Juana Maria Elementary School from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. This is a free event and covers topics like affordable housing, tenant rights, paths to home ownership, and homelessness. As housing costs continue to rise in the community, it's crucial that our community is well informed about the resources at their disposal and that they have a clear understanding of their rights as renters and homeowners. This event is open to anyone interested and will include feature experts from five local agencies. You can visit the city's website to register and pre-submit questions if you have any. And my thanks go to Leona Rollins and the housing services team for putting these events together. To date, this is our third housing forum workshop that's been offered to the community. And lastly, our next city council meeting is November 6th, followed by our second and final council meeting in November on the 13th. Thank you for, those are my comments. Thank you, on to the consent item. We have two items. Any council members want an item pulled or questions or comments? I do have a couple questions on the financial update, but before we go there, do we have any comments? Public comment. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. We do have one public comment on consent items. Spencer Noron on item number two. Thank you, Michael. Mayor, Council, VPD, translation. Looking over the report, I was just looking in the financial department. I pulled up Parks and Rec, and where are we at here? Excuse me, Mayor. Thank you. Looking at percentage spent year to date, 16%. If it's quarterly, it should be at 25%. And then projected was 2.6, and then estimated now is 2.3. Roughly $300,000 for Parks and Rec. So I'm just curious where that's at, and think that we can get that money into Parks and Rec as soon as possible in the next three quarters. Thank you. That concludes. I might have one virtual speaker he's confirming. Uh, that concludes public comment on closed session items. Okay, thank you. Um, I have a couple questions. Mr. Morley. Uh, on, um, I noticed in the report, is it possible to pull up the report? Um, I don't have it preloaded. Just give us a minute and we'll pull it up. As he's doing that, uh, I, I noticed there was a are you expecting significant financial changes uh, on a post-audit basis? I know this, the numbers aren't final because the audit's not final, is that correct? Uh, that's correct, those are unaudited numbers. No, we're not expecting any significant changes. That's okay. just as much as we can report right now because it's not final. There was a mention of uh, $3.5 million in investment items approved by the council already. Can you recall what was included in that 3.5 million? 
Well, the uh, the three point five million dollars that's included in the in the budget for this year is mostly attributable to the implementation of the new ERP system. Um, so probably close to eighty percent of that is attributable to that. There's a couple of other items that are a little less significant, but most of that three point five million dollars is transfers to support the uh, implementation of Workday. A biggest surprise or concern in the financial results in the first quarter? Anything you want to particularly raise a flag on or I, clap really loud? No, I don't think there's any um, big surprises or concerns there. Uh, normally when we do a first quarter report, we're, we're at a period of time where revenues are coming in a little slower than they will for the rest of the year. For example, we don't get um, property tax distributions until December and April. Um, so we haven't received any property tax distributions for the year. We've only had one distribution of sales tax from the California Department of Fee Tax and Fee Administration. So the numbers aren't um, complete enough for us to, be, to do any real um, discernible projections that might present us to have some kind of a concern. Right now what we're seeing is something that is more consistent with what our budget projections were last spring. Okay. Other questions by council? If not, I'll entertain a motion. So moved. Move to approve consent. Mo moved by Mr. McReynolds, second by the deputy mayor. Any other questions? Vote, please. You go ahead and enter your vote now on the consent items. Seven eyes and the motion carries. Thank you much. On to for formal items, item number three. Mr. Nelson, with staff presentation on discussion on condition of sidewalks, ADA ramps, and bike paths, I believe. That's right now. And Mr. Mayor, just to provide an update while uh, Phil comes up, the WebEx is up and running. The audio is running. We're still waiting to hear back from our interpreters, but the WebEx is up and running and audio is working. Thank you much. Welcome back, Mr. Nelson. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. It's good to be back. Uh, Michael, if you can help me. Oh, there we go. Thank you. Keeps falling asleep. Mr. Nelson, have you been away so long that we, we got a problem pulling up the presentation? Or I was logged out. Now I'm back in. So good evening, Mr. Mayor, Deputy Mayor, members of the council. Uh, for the record, I'm Phil Nelson, your Public Works Director. As the Mayor indicated, we'll be talking tonight a little bit about the city's infrastructure. Uh, specifically, I'll review the Council goal. This, this presentation is response to one of your Council goals, so we'll review what that goal is. And then I'll talk in more detail about maintenance management program, cro cro program elements. This will be very familiar from our uh, discussion around pavement management. And then in each of those asset categories that were mentioned, I'll be presenting a report card that really uh, compares, um, well, assesses how we are in, in maintaining those different asset classes, and then some conclusions to follow on that, and then open for any questions. We're not requesting any action this evening. 
This is an informational presentation, but of course, look forward to the discussion in any direction your council would like to give. So review the council goal was to improve conditions across the city. We spelled out, or your council spelled out specifically, the roads, sidewalks, medians, public spaces. As I mentioned, we've already talked about roads. Sidewalks we'll talk about tonight. Medians are really following the purview of Parks and Recreation Department. We won't be talking about those tonight because um, really they're in a transition. We're not so much maintaining the medians. As you're probably well aware, many of them were constructed to be landscaped, a lot of uh, uh, plant material in there. We don't have the watering. We don't want to use the water. We don't have irrigation. They're very expensive to maintain. So Parks is actually uh, starting to or looking to transition those into different types of medians, hardscapes, public art, that kind of thing. So really won't go into detail on that. And then the public spaces have interpreted that to include some areas that we know are of interest to your council, that being ADA ramps, uh, the bike paths or multi-use paths. And then I've thrown in the stormwater system because I think that bears discussion. And then finally facilities, which we will talk about at a future meeting. So when we look at a maintenance management program, which was part of a, a, the, a larger program called, called life cycle asset management, the maintenance portion of it would contain these five essential elements. And they should look familiar because they're the same ones we talked about in April when I presented the pavement management plan. And I'm gonna step through each of the five just as a reminder as to what they entail because then I'll be comparing uh, each of those categories, sidewalks, ramps, and so forth, with how, how is our maintenance management program in those categories, uh, the health of that program, if you will, and what the condition is of the infrastructure and then what I think we need to do going forward. So when I talk about inventory, it's just as the name implies. Do we know what we need to maintain? Do we have a good inventory of what is um, in the city? And I'll refer back often to our pavement management plan because that's probably our most mature program. And as you may remember, we have a very good inventory there of all our streets. And in the uh, categories we're gonna talk about tonight, we have uh, varying, varying from uh, pretty good to some that need some work. But inventory is really, do you know what you need to maintain? The standards are what level of performance are we looking for out of our sidewalks and storm drains and so forth. For streets, we use the pavement condition index. Our goal there is a PCI of 70, so we have a good standard defined. I'll talk about the standards we have in each of the other categories. Once you know what you've got and you know the performance level you want from it, then the assessment just really compares the current state against what the performance is for the entire inventory. And I'll talk about what our condition assessments are for those different categories. What is the maintenance strategy towards those? Uh, this will vary quite a bit. Um, if you think about your own car, you do preventive maintenance on your car. You don't wait for the transmission to fail. You take it in and make sure it gets checked up and get your tires checked and all that before a trip. Uh, but at home, probably you don't have an inspection program for your light bulbs. You wait for those to fail and then you just replace them. Both of those are examples of a maintenance strategy. Some things you run to failure, some things you want to be, uh, make sure you're, you're ahead of that before, so they don't fail and you're doing the proper maintenance. And then finally, what is the funding for each of those programs? The funding to execute that strategy, to address the maintenance issues, to close that gap that's revealed from your condition assessment. 
all of that rolls into an asset management information system. So I'll talk a little bit about that as it relates to each one of these categories. That's simply the system in which you have all this data and we do all of this analysis. Going back to our streets program, I mentioned we use a system called Street Saver, uh, very common throughout the state, very robust system. It does all of these five categories for us very well. So that's probably our best example of what we want to be. And then I'll talk about it each of the areas where we actually are. I'm going to eventually step through a report card for each asset class. And in doing so, I'm going to rate each of those five program elements according to the criteria you see on the screen. Those elements that are excellent are green or just as it implies, uh, they do everything we need them to do. Uh, we really don't need any improvement in that area. Uh, they're what we would want them to be. The good category, slightly less, it's good enough for us to be able to do proper maintenance to really manage the program, but there is room for improvement and we need to do some work there. The poor rating would be that that area is really insufficient to be able to, to uh, have an adequate or effective maintenance management program. And then critical would mean that that element is uh, either completely ineffective or perhaps even missing. So let's uh, go into our first uh, report card or scorecard, if you will, which would be sidewalks. Our inventory, we have a very good inventory. We know where the sidewalks are. We have them all tracked in GIS. We know we have 420 miles of them. Uh, so that's a, a green, it's excellent. We know what the standards are, what we're working towards. We want to ha have where we have no disruptions greater than one inch. You might ask, well, why, why don't we just have no disruptions, zero disruptions? It's really an unrealistic standard because we're always gonna have some, uh, maybe a quarter inch, maybe an eighth of an inch. There is going to be something. Uh, most of those are tolerable, but when we get to the one eighth or one inch, that's when we start running into some uh, trip fall hazard uh, risks, uh, legal risks towards the city, uh, safety risks to our residents. So that's the criteria we use. We don't want anything over an inch and we want all the sidewalks to be ADA compliant. So those are our performance standards. As far as the condition assessment go, you can see that score is more of an orange. Uh, we have a number of disruptions identified, probably about 3,000 of those. We keep track of them on a GIS uh, sidewalk dashboard, which is available to the public. It's uh, on our city website. But it's more reactive. Uh, the disruptions we know of are the ones that have been reported to us, or we may have uh, identified ourselves. But unlike streets, we don't have a program where we deliberately go out and walk sidewalks and look for disruptions. So I can't tell you that we know where each and every one of them are. Uh, which is why last year for our budget request, we asked your council for some funding to do a comprehensive assessment. And thank you, your, your council provided us with that funding. We're very near to awarding that contract, so we'll complete that assessment this fiscal year. And then uh, that score would turn green. Our strategy for maintenance, as I mentioned, we have the, uh, the standard of one inch. So anything that's less than one inch that we identify or know about, we'll go out and we'll grind, which is, literally grinding the adjacent concrete surface uh, to align those two edges so we don't have that disruption anymore. We can do that generally for up to an inch. Anything more than that, you're really uh, degrading the integrity of the slab. Slabs are typically maybe two to four inches thick, so you really run into um, weakening that edge. So those disruptions over one inch, we'll put some asphalt down to build a ramp. 
Uh, but then we identify those for coming back later to do a replacement on those. Uh, we, our goal, our strategy is to address those disruptions we know about them within 10 business days of reporting. Uh, and also to address the true tree roots when we address the disruption as best we can. Because quite honestly, we don't have a sidewalk problem. We have a tree root problem. If it weren't for the tree roots, and we know of the areas around the city where we don't have the tree root problems, those sidewalks last for decades. Uh, so it's largely the roots that need to be addressed. And so that's, uh, that adds into the equation of how we deal with that. Part of our strategy is an annual CIP project of around 700,000 a year where we just uh, rotate around the city doing um, concentrated areas, as many repair and replacements as we can for the 700,000. What we're hoping is with the complete assessment that we'll actually be able to target that money more in the areas that need it the most, address the, the highest risk areas, if you will, and then develop maybe a broader plan even of um, being able to address all the disruptions in a faster time frame. Which leads to the last bullet, and that's the sidewalk management plan, maintenance management plan. Uh, you're gonna hear me say this, I think, three or four more times. Similar to what we have for streets, where we have a good assessment, we know our standard, what is our strategy for bringing all of that up to, uh, I'll call a baseline serviceable level, and then it's just uh, some maintenance after that. Also, it's, it's moving this asset class, all of that data into our asset management system. So not Street Saver, we do that for streets. We have another program called Lucity, which Ventura Water uses for their infrastructure. We have some of ours in Public Works in that program, but we need to move more of it into that software system. And then finally, in the funding and sidewalks, uh, your council has been great in giving us much more funding than we've had in recent years, about a million and a half between our operational and CIP. Uh, but at that current funding level, we estimate it'll be seven to 10 years before we really get to a steady state, meaning we don't have as many disruptions. Uh, we're able to get out and just repair things quickly as they occur. We don't have the volume we have now. Uh, I don't think any of us are happy with seven to 10 years, but that's kind of where we're at today. So that's why that, that grading there is an orange. Moving on to ADA ramps. We don't have as good of an inventory there, probably about 85% accuracy. All of it is kept in uh, GIS, so we do know the locations. This is an interesting asset class because we're also tracking locations where this, this asset should exist, but it doesn't, uh, which is unlike any other group. We don't track where we want to have streets and don't have them, uh, but in, when it comes to ramps, yes, that's what we do. Uh, the standard we're after, pretty simple, that they're all ADA compliant, uh, and they're located at all crosswalks. So a ADA ramp is required wherever there is a crosswalk, even if there's no sidewalk to connect it to, which is kind of an interesting thought. The reason being is that the ramp is really there to allow a pedestrian to get out of the right-of-way and into a safe area on the other side of the curb. So if a person who's in a wheelchair is within the right-of-way, the ramp gets them out. It may be to a grassy area, dirt area, whatever, but they're out of the right-of-way. They're safe. So that's why often uh, we get requests to install a, a crosswalk. I know many of your members have as well. The crosswalk is simple. It's paint. That costs nothing. But in many locations, there's no ramp on either end, and so it requires to put in two ramps along with the crosswalk, and that's when it starts to get very expensive. So that's why we're not always able to put those in when requested. Uh, 
As far as the condition assessment, you can see the numbers there. We're really tracking four conditions. Those ramps that are fully compliant, uh, those that require an upgrade, usually this is in uh, the truncated domes. So if you recall the ramps, they usually have a yellow area with the, with the bumps all over them. Um, we have many ramps that don't have those truncated domes, so that's what the, ramp, the upgrade is. A number of them need replacement. Either the geometry is all wrong, uh, that's typically what the problem is, uh, the geometry, the sloping, the approaches, that sort of thing, so they need to be completely replaced. Or as I mentioned earlier, we have locations where we have sidewalks, uh, you know, that's where pedestrians would want to cross, whether there's a painted crosswalk or not. And we really feel ramps ought to be there. And you see the number of where we think, uh, where we would need those. So our condition assessment, not great. Again, that's another area we're kind of making estimates. We would need to go out and do a more detailed assessment. We are planning to request in next year's budget funding to do that. As far as the strategy goes, currently our strategy is to replace or upgrade ramps as we resurface streets. That's largely because state law requires it. So if we go in, if we do a slurry seal, not so much, but when we go in and, and take off some of the asphalt and pave like we're doing on Bristol, uh, that requires upgrading all the ramps. Uh, that's why that project starts with all the concrete work of the curbs and the ramps and all of that. And the asphalt's the last thing that we do. Uh, we also address ramps in some high interest areas. That's typically areas with a lot of uh, pedestrian volume or where we know they're non-compliant or they come to your council's attention for various reasons. Um, so, we, so that's when we would address those. We don't have any plan as of now for installing ramps where we believe they're needed, although we do recognize they are needed. Uh, and this is another category where we need that ramp management plan and uh, getting those into our Lucidity system so we're tracking those. As far as fundings, uh, the category is red because really we depend on grants, which is largely CBDG funding, or as I mentioned earlier, as part of a street resurfacing project, uh, we can use some gas tax money, small percentage for things other than asphalt that are related to the project, ramps being one of those. Um, and when we've done a really very, very rough estimate of what do we think it would take to address the condition assessment I specified above, it's about a $40 million price tag to install new ramps, to upgrade the ones that are existing. Reason being is that many of these ramps that need to be replaced are in older sections of the city. The geometry is wrong. There's a utility pole in the way. There's a storm drain right, right on the radius of where the ramp wants to be. So the storm drain has to be moved. There are things like that, that it's not just a simple ramp, it's a lot of other work in that area, which is really what drives up that cost. Moving on to multi-use paths, bike paths, pedestrian and so forth. We have a good inventory in that, 34 miles in our network. Uh, I'd like to point out that in terms of the county, uh, Ventura really has one of the largest bike networks, so we can be very proud of that. Uh, we've talked many times about the ATP that we'll be coming forward with soon. That's going to drive more projects. We expect to, expect to get more grant funding and build more of these paths. Uh, really encourage the public to use them and, and get out of their internal combustion engine vehicles. Uh, so we only see this category growing. Most of them currently right now are in linear parks. Uh, linear parks are managed by the Parks and Recreation Department. We work very closely with them in managing the uh, paved paths. 
As far as the standards go, we do have a rating system, but it's, I'll call it, it's pretty, um, pretty simple, pretty basic. Uh, you can see on the screen, good, okay, and poor is kind of what we use and the definitions for both of those. Uh, but as part of our ATP and our expanding network, we are working on developing a more sophisticated uh, rating system and how we would do those assessments. As far as the condition assessment goes, uh, it's orange primarily. We don't, it's not a, something we go out and deliberately inspect every year or even on any kind of a cycle. It's more of identifying issues as we discover them. A lot of our staff rides those paths as, as part of their recreation and getting around so they're very familiar with them. Uh, but you can see the mileage roughly there of where they fall into each category. But we do need a more objective assessment program. Uh, one neat thing that you may recall I talked about during streets is we're just about uh, now to implement our, uh, our artificial intelligence um, new assessment program, uh, Road AI it's called, where we use a smartphone to actually video pavement the streets and it's gonna give us some assessment ratings. We think the system is going to work on bike paths as well. So it'll be somebody's uh, lucky job is to mount one of these on a bike and go out and ride all of our paths uh, some nice sunny day around here. So um, if, if anyone wants to volunteer for that, I'm sure, uh, yes, I've got plenty of hands. So we'll be doing that. As far as our strategy, it's really just to address the poor sections. Uh, and that's, as I'll get to in a minute, primarily because of the funding. So when we know of the worst sections of uh, vegetation we take care of, try to cut that back on a regular basis. But if we have some real pavement issues, we just go out and address those as we know about them. Uh, and this is another category. We need that comprehensive uh, management plan and getting that into our, working on getting that into our Lucity system. The funding, we really, the only money we get right now, we comes from VCTC. They get a pot of money from the city, from the state. They divvy it up uh, in all the cities and county, really based on a prorated share of how many uh, mile, how, your mileage in the network. Uh, so as we expand our network, which is great, uh, and other cities do the same, but the pot of money isn't going to change. So the amount of money received per mile of network is probably gonna go down and we'll receive maybe, maybe a little bit more, but not that much. And you can see the numbers on the screen. It really is insufficient. Um, most of that money is spent on weed abatement and a little bit of the asphalt work that I mentioned. Uh, I, thankfully, most of our network is in good shape, uh, but over time, that's just gonna change and we're going to need to come up with another funding source. So we'll need a, some sort of a funding strategy for bike path maintenance, multi-path maintenance going forward. Lastly, our stormwater drainage system. We have a very good inventory, 118 miles of both open and closed channel. Uh, it's very accurate, it's in GIS. We know what types of materials, we know diameters, so I think we have a very good assessment of our network um, identification. Our standards, I think, are good. I've got yellow because I think we could probably tighten it up a bit, but you know, really performance-wise, I think we'd all agree, we don't want any flooding doing, due to inadequate or blocked drains and pipes. And we don't want infiltration of debris into the pipes because that just ups our maintenance cost. So we want to keep that down. Uh, the standard there, and I don't have it on the screen, would really pertain to a 10-year event, rain event. We could increase it to a 100-year event. 
that gets to be a very expensive system, and I don't know of any city that would try to build a system to that standard. So 10-year would be the standard. Condition assessments is orange, might even be red. We really don't have an adequate rating system like we do for the other classes with regards to pipes. And of the 118 miles, we've only really assessed a little over one mile of the 20 miles of corrugated metal pipe that we have. Now pipes are, we've got the open channel, which is really mostly just uh, you know, dirt and vegetation, but a lot of our system is closed. It's either concrete pipe or CMP, corrugated metal pipe. Concrete pipe wears very well, we're in good shape there. The 20 miles of corrugated metal pipe, this is pipe that was probably installed 40, 50, 60 years ago. Every city is facing this same issue. Uh, it was inexpensive, they went in quickly, it was done in the 50s and 60s, and they're all end of life. Uh, the sinkhole we have on Ventura Avenue is, is a corrugated metal pipe uh, where when we went in and investigated, there was an enormous void under that street that had nothing supporting the pavement, or very little. We were fortunate that the hole was as small as it was and that and nothing fell in it. Um, and the pipe underneath, there was no bottom in the pipe. It was a huge, long stretch, 20 feet or more, I think. Uh, then not only was there no bottom, but it had scoured out all of the you know, dirt underneath. So it was in pretty poor shape. My concern is we have more pipe like that around the city. I don't know where, but I'm convinced we have it and we're going to find it or it will find us. We're not alone, as I mentioned, every city has failed corrugated metal pipe and sinkholes. We've read about some of it in the newspaper. Uh, this is a condition that's only going to get worse, unfortunately. We are looking at ways where we can do more uh, assessments. This is another area where we, we will be submitting a budget request for funding to do an assessment next fiscal year. So we really have a good uh, handle on the condition of all of our network. And then again, we'll be putting together a man maintenance management plan based on that. Our current strategy is the annual inlet clearing. So we began a couple months ago, but every year we start preparing for the stormy season. We have a contract that goes, contractor goes around, cleans out the over, I think, 2,500 uh, storm drain inlets and catch basins, cleans those out of all the debris. Uh, all of the outlets that are down by the ocean, we try to clean all those out of all the cobble and everything, uh, make the system as clear as we can. Uh, we start uh, staging you know, uh, barricades and, and uh, sandbags and other things. We know of the areas that are gonna flood, so we prepare for those. Uh, so that's all part of our strategy. Uh, we address failures as, the, as they occur. We always have failures, usually smaller, not as big as like we've had on Victoria. And we address those as they occur during the year. And then we do have some CIP, well, many CIP projects to replace uh, failed or failing lines to the tune of about $50 million of backlog. All of it is unfunded at this point, uh, but we do have it in our unplanned project list. And as I mentioned earlier, this is another category where we really, once we've done that assessment, we need to put together a very comprehensive plan of maintaining and also uh, the systematic repair and replacement before we have uh, failures. The funding, current funding of, uh, level of funding is inadequate for what we need to do. I already mentioned the 50 million in backlog of uh, CIP work. You can see the numbers on the screen of what we have in our operational funding. That's where we do the maintenance, uh, the small uh, repairs that come up during the course of the year. Uh, 
Um, this is a category that we will be spending more money in in the future, and, and I think we need to get ahead of the issue before we're, we're just responding to it. So in summary, here are the uh, four different asset categories, the program elements shown on the left, where the grading is. Uh, in my assessment, our inventory and standards you know, are very good. We've got some work to do in a few areas, but I feel good about where they are. Uh, the condition assessments, you can see they're, they're poor across the, the board, simply because we haven't been doing the kind of uh, uh, forward-looking assessments that we've been doing with streets. Uh, it's more responsive, more reactive, along with the strategies. Uh, so once those assessments are completed, we can really update those strategies so that we can uh, look for how we're going to close those gaps. And then the funding is really the area that uh, is probably the we're most efficient in. Uh, not a big surprise there. I think that's kind of across the board, uh, but that's uh, that's what my um, the report cards show. So the takeaways uh, for staff's conclusions: uh, first, we need to mature our maintenance management programs some more, as I mentioned, in terms of the assessments, strategies, and then uh, really the limiting factor, though, once that is done, is going to be the funding to address that. I firmly believe that the available funding and revenue streams that we have, as we already talked about with regards to streets, will be inadequate to address this issue. Uh, if the goal is to really improve the infrastructure condition, uh, really to be able to address what I think is going to be, especially in stormwater, as I talked about, some of this infrastructure that we're just going to see more and more failures of, we're going to need to find different revenue sources I think the most likely, or probably the one that would serve our means the most, is some sort of infrastructure bond. Now that would be a bond to include the things I talked about tonight, a bond to address uh, the street deficiencies that we've already talked about, and a bond to address what I'll be talking about with facilities here in a few weeks, to include all the fire station improvements that we've, uh, you know, uh, have been discussed with council. It's a bond probably similar to something like Ventura Unified did uh, last year, or last uh, election. It's a fairly sizable bond. I'm no bond expert, uh, but I think it's something we ought to maybe be looking at exploring. Might be something your council might want to even consider as part of a council goal. But I think if we are really are going to address the infrastructure deficiencies and position ourselves well for the future, that's something that needs to be seriously looked at. And with that, I'm happy to take any questions uh, or any direction. Yeah, there's going to be some questions, I think. Thanks, I think, for the report. Um, I, I'm sorry that I guess the city is an old city, and our infrastructure, like other older cities, is uh, we're going to have to make some investments. But before I say any more, Councilmember Johnson, followed by Councilmember Halter. Thank you so much, Mayor, and, and thank you, Mr. Nelson and your staff for for this bigger, broader look. Um, you know, I appreciate that the the pavement management plan that we had um, that, that prior to your presence here, that, that we skipped one, just totally skipped one, and, and I think we all felt very personally, every time we rode, every time we drove over, over a pothole or, you know, went over a crack in the sidewalk or, or any of those things, just, um, what a mistake it was to, to lose sight of the big picture. I, I will point out that um, the deputy mayor and I have volunteered to put little cameras on our bikes and go out on a sunny day <laughs> and, and do that. So I'm hoping some of my colleagues will 
raise their hands, will step forward and, and volunteer to crawl through some of that corrugated metal pipe <laughs> so we can inspect our stormwater system. Um, when, we, when we talk about the sidewalks, I, I really appreciate, I, I assume we're still doing grinding on an active basis? Uh, I'm sorry, say that again. We're still doing the grinding on an active oh, yes. basis? Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I will tell you that I have been walking around my neighborhood a lot now that I have a dog and I've been taking a lot of photos. Um, and one of the things I have seen is it's clear that there are places where there was grinding five, six, seven, eight years ago, but the, pardon the pun, the root problem wasn't really addressed. Mm -hmm. And so some of those are really where we see some trip hazards as well. Um, and so just going back, I think my guess is just going back and looking at grinding that happened six plus, eight plus years ago and, and revisiting those in particular, knowing that those are problem areas would be helpful. I, I note that it's that Halloween is tomorrow night and then we're gonna have daylight savings. I will say that I, uh, just in my neighborhood, our sidewalks are in great shape. I don't like walking the dog at night because even with our great sidewalks, there are problems. Um, and my wife, as you know, uses a wheelchair and it's hard to get around our neighborhood in a wheelchair. So when we talk about ADA, Mr. Nelson, um, I hope we appreciate that it's not just about the ramps um, or the, the, you know, the inch disruptions, but also what you see in a lot of times, you see this, for example, a lot on Whittier Street, where the, the sidewalk is so uplifted that you can do grinding and you can do cold patch and you can do all these things, but the angle of the sidewalk is just too much. And then places where it's uneven. And anybody who uses a wheelchair, if it's not, if it's not flat like that, uh, it can be very difficult to navigate because your wheelchair wants to turn. When we look at where we have these maps, um, let, me, let me back. Here, here, here's what I've noticed. Like, like if I walk around Loyola, if I Loyola Avenue by me, and I want to take pictures of things, in one block I will take 12 or 15 pictures because there's, there's sidewalk disruptions, there's places where the curb is all broken up, there are, you know, dead branches and trees, there are problems with utility vaults. And at the same time, when I walk on like Lafayette, I can walk five blocks and not take a single picture. Do we ever take the map of everything and look at it and say, you know, it looks like this block has not gotten any attention from the city in 15 years? Well, currently we don't. And as you pointed out, Whittier, we're familiar with uh, a lot of these areas. When they come to our attention, we look at those. But that's what we're hoping to be able to do with this assessment, is that it won't only identify the disruption, but as you pointed out, the type of disruption. Is it something that can be fixed with a grinding, or is it a complete replacement? And once we have that complete assessment, then we can really see in the city, and one would expect it's probably the older neighborhoods, you know, where we have maybe some of those larger problems. And then we can develop that strategy. Okay, how, how do we go about addressing these, either with um, how much we do we spend annually or what are the size of the projects? We can really start putting together a better uh, proactive approach, I guess, uh, than a reactive one like we do now. But that, that, what you mentioned is exactly what we hope to do after an assessment. Thank you. And do we... Do we have a program to look at the obstructions where you've got a, a power pole right in the middle of a sidewalk, like we have on Olive Street, like we have on Telegraph Road? 
That, that would, again, would be one of the things we would identify is, is what are the different types of obstructions. There may be no disruption, but the, the, but the panels are at a 10 degree you know, tilt, like you pointed out. Uh, we want to know all of that, because then we can really address it. We, we know that they're out there, and people have either, for whatever reason, have chosen not to report it. We want to know where all those are, so we can really put together a better plan on how to address it all. Thank you. When we talk about a, moving on to stormwater, when we talk about a 10-year event versus a 100-year event, uh, have we not had a 100-year event recently? We have. We'll probably have another one, too. Uh, you certainly can size the system for that. It really comes down to the cost. Um, the, the current one was sized for the 10. So if you start sizing for the 100, then we're talking about replacing 118 miles, and I think the cost just gets prohibitive. But if we can address the 10-year event, you know, as the 100-year describes, that's one that theoretically happens one every 100 years, although they could happen two years in a row. Um, so those, it's not that it would be catastrophically bad, but we would expect there to be some flooding in that type of event. But the drainage system would hopefully quickly drain that. We'd re return to some kind of a normal condition. Thank you. Speaking of that, do we know what happened with the flooding on, on Thompson where it... Uh got into an apartment building. Do we have an idea what happened there? Uh, that one, not, not off the top of my head, but I, I okay. can certainly look into that. Okay. Um, when we talk about stormwater, uh, does our consent decree with the Wish Toyo Foundation affect what we're gonna be doing with stormwater? Not so much that as much as the MS4 permit. So, you know, a lot of the contaminants that could get to the ocean will be transmitted via the stormwater. Uh, which is why we do all of the inlet clearing and do the things that we do to try to keep contaminants out of the storm drains, the street sweeping, other activities. But I'm not aware of any connection between our stormwater system and the Wishtoya okay, uh, settlement. And then my last question, I appreciate the time. Uh, how will all this integrate with our new Comcate system for when residents want to mm -hmm. report uh, a broken... A, 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 a broken branch hanging from a tree or a sidewalk disruption. Uh, thank you for teeing me up for that one, because that, that's a great story. The new system will allow a resident who has the app on their phone, when they see that disruption, take a picture, fill out a quick little form on their phone, sidewalk problem. It's going to record the GPS coordinate. We'll have a picture of what it is, and it's going to get sent right to our staff that takes care of sidewalks. Thank you, and I, and I want to make sure we're not going to require people to use an app, correct? Uh, I, I don't know the exact mechanics. That they're going to, it'll be something on their phone. How they actually interact with it, I'll leave that up to IT to explain. Okay, as I said when we talked about this at goal setting, it, it, can't, it can't require an app. I, you know, just, I had to call Pete Freeman. What do I do about a stop, about a you know, one of the street lights that's out. And he's like, well, you have to download the app. So then I have to download the app, and then I have to make an account. And it's like, what's, what's your account number? I don't know. What's the password? Said, I don't know. It's under my wife's name. Um, we I, I, we I, can't require people. We, we have to make sure it's easy. Somebody should be able to just text it in into a number, and, and we can do it. What we way. want to capture are the GPS and the photograph. And so, and again, I, I'm not exactly familiar with it, but my understanding is for a person to submit something, they won't need, they can, but they won't need to create an account or log okay. in or any of that. They can just go record it. Put it okay, in. 
Thank you. They, they would only create an account or something if they wanted to get feedback and find, get a status update. But otherwise, I think there's an anonymous way to do it. But again, I'll leave that up to uh, IT to okay. explain the mechanics of it. Wonderful. That. Thank you. Councilmember Johnson, there is, there's no requirement to use an app to use the Comcade system. In fact, uh, users do not even need to register. They can just simply use it to notify the city of trouble. Councilmember Halter followed by Councilmember Campos. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, and thank you, Mr. Nelson, for an excellent report. And especially I love uh, what you're talking about as far as having community input and being able to report and have eyes on the street and on sidewalks and on the bike paths and so forth, because it's hard to be everywhere. <laughs> But um, as our mayor first started out in saying that uh, one of the uh, disadvantages of the fantastic rich history that our city has in the age of our community is our infrastructure. It definitely shows that it's taken a beating despite a lot of our efforts and increasing a lot of our funding. I think this year alone, I think we increased somewhere between 30 and 40 percent, if I remember right. Um, but with that said, um, are we actively looking at ways to um, do a multiple multi-number of wins if we're uh, doing things with broadband and we're working with the water department and changing out some of the 100-year-old sewer systems? Are we working together to, to make sure we don't just pave a street and then have, uh, have it torn up for some of those amenities? When we plan our CIP, we look at what we plan to do, we public works with stormwater or whatever might be in the right-of-way, resurfacing even. And then we look at what all the water wastewater projects are, and we really try very hard to the best that we can to make sure we do any of the underground work that needs to be done and that the repaving is the last thing that we do. Or if we're opening up the ground, if there's an opportunity to put more things in the ditch, we'll do that at that time. The challenge is often that the utilities or what you're looking at wouldn't be located in the same place. The storm drain line is along the gutter where the catch basins are, where all of the water wastewater utilities are usually in the middle of the street. Mm -hmm. So um, we have those challenges. But whenever we can uh, single up or get economies or make sure we're not doing rework, we, we do that. Excellent. The more we could do that, obviously, the better mm -hmm. the whole community would be and the more we could get done. And um, the other thing, though, in regards to stormwater, um, as I said on the Beacon Board, uh, we know that one of their favorite uh, sayings is, every mountain wants to be a beach. <laughs> and it's the urban fabric that gets in the way of that happening. Mm -hmm. And so we built these great urban environments, but it also does a lot of damage to our beaches and our coastline. Um, but in the same token, we have to safely get some of that debris or some of that uh, sand or soil that comes off of our hillsides or mountains uh, to the rivers or places that could uh, safely get to the beach. There's several streets in our city where there's mud flows, it, whether it's a quarter inch of rain or, or two inches of rain, mm -hmm. there'd be a mud flow going down those streets. And is there not something that, have we tried to address those ongoing? Every year you, you see the same issues, and I've been here 40 years, so. Some of the projects I mentioned that are in the CIP are designed to either replace uh, a drain that's failed or nearly failed or has lost capacity. Uh, so without knowing specific locations, uh, some of those projects would do exactly that. Um, usually where we see the mud flows um, is either because things have changed in the hillside where, be where before maybe there was vegetation that held it back and now we don't have that, or maybe some other drainage areas. Um, as I mentioned, where the, where the pipes just are not conveying as much as they used to. Uh, so it is a constant battle. We do get the debris. We expect it. There's no way to avoid it. 
Um, but the whole point is trying to channel it and move it, as you mentioned, to the beach where it wants to be uh, and keep those drains clear. So yes, that is something we always try to look at. What I'm hoping is with, again, with this assessment, knowing where we have greatly reduced capacities, mm -hmm. we know of areas that we, we know that we have them. We don't know the areas. We know there are areas that we don't know where they are. Uh, just because th these lines naturally fill up. That's just yeah. what they do. Yeah. And so once we complete that assessment, we'll have a much better feel for the overall water conveying capability of our system and then start to address that too. Okay, great, thank you. Um, the other thing is in regards to stormwater and uh, what hits the, hits the ocean, hits the beaches, is there's many parts of our uh, community that doesn't have community trash cans, like Midtown Ventura. Mm -hmm. uh, is there a way to, would that be in your department or in Parks and Rec? Uh, uh, whose department would that be in to see about getting trash cans in areas like Midtown, where you could get some of the trash uh, from falling into the gutters or into the streets and then brought out to the ocean? You mean like a sidewalk? Trash can receptacles? Like what we're doing on Pierpont with yeah. Uh, yeah. Public Works. We, we manage the waste management, so if there are any additional uh, receptacles, we can look at locations for that. Uh, I, I could get with you later on any specific locations you have in mind. Okay, great. I just know in Midtown in particular, on Maine and Thompson. Um, I've noticed that. And then along with that is uh, vegetation. Whether it's um, public property or private property, there's oftentimes as you walk or drive through the city, you see uh, branches or uh, bushes hanging over the street or over the sidewalk mm -hmm. so people can't pass. I see that on Poli Street and Foothill. I see that on some of the hillsides. And how does the city, do, do, are we, do we actively noti notify people to um, help do their part and keep their bushes trimmed away so people can safely get uh, tran you know, transport pass. That is a, a parks and rec uh, responsibility. I know they, that they will maintain and uh, trim the city-owned trees. Mm -hmm. I, I believe they will notify property owners of privately owned, but I, I can't be for certain on that. Okay. Um, and then finally, along these, all these same lines is, uh, I understand the priority of function, um, but I also believe very strongly in, in beauty and um, the aesthetics of a community. And when you see cracked streets, a lot of our concrete streets are really cracked up. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, a lot of them have a lot of weeds growing in them, more than some people's lawns. <laughs> and um, so it's just, do we balance aesthetics with function? Do we have that capability or that wherewithal to say, hey, uh, this has been ground four times, the tree's been long gone, I think it's time that we replace this piece of sidewalk and not grind it or put asphalt on top of it? Or that curb's been broken now for 30 years, maybe we should identify those that have been around for a long time and start repairing them. We know those areas that need to be repaired and the ones that you talk about. We, as I mentioned in the presentation, we just, we don't have the funding to address all the issues. So we are focused on those that we believe present the greatest risk to the residents or to the city. Yeah, I would understand that there have to be a priority, but mm -hmm. I just think that I hope that we also are able to um, balance with aesthetics and continue with citizen motivating projects that mm -hmm. will allow property owners to uh, participate. Um, there's nothing better than to show how, how proud we are and how well kept our, our community is but it encourages people to also take care of their properties and mm -hmm. make sure that they, they add to the ambiance and the beauty of our community. Like most of them do, it's just sometimes it takes a little bit of encouragement. 
Councilmember Campos, followed by Councilmember McReynolds. Could you pull up slide number seven? I believe. So regarding the the ramps, how are you how are you prioritizing the installation of ramps? And do you have reports about recently installed ramps? that are not compliant? We are prioritizing, we're replacing ramps as part of the CIP. That's, that's pretty much the prioritization. Um, outside of that, we, we aren't uh, replacing any ramps or have a real uh, priority list that we're working on simply because we don't have the funding to do it unless we know that it is, um, for whatever reason, is just in terrible shape. It's impassable, if you will, maybe. As far as new ramps recently installed that are not compliant, I'm not aware of any, but if you do know of some, I'd love to know about them. Well, an example would be, I believe you did the bulb outs on Ventura Avenue a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. So Ventura Avenue at Vince has a flashing light and a bulb out and newly installed ramps, and someone put the asphalt I assume to protect from stormwater going onto the ramp about two and a half to three inches high in a short bump all along the roadway in front of the ramp. So as a wheelchair, particularly an electronic wheelchair, rolls across vents, they can flip over or be forced out into the traffic by that asphalt. So the ramp itself is probably lovely. I can't reach it in my wheelchair. Many people on the avenue sidestep that and go down the block to the next block for the curb ramp if they're unable to climb the, the driveways of the car shops there. You so said that was at Ventura and Vince? That particular one is at Ventura and Vince. It's not the only one. There's a couple associated with those bulb outs I, I think we're installed pretty much at the same time. And, and then you have entire streets like Santa Clara from Anne to the, at least the museum, which are old curb ramps. And they're so steep that we all have to roll down them backwards mm -hmm. to avoid flipping over. And I don't know what your priority is on that. We, we don't have the, really the funding to address that, unfortunately. That's, well, those are one of the 1,475 that are yeah, like that's that. Yeah, that's what I presume. Okay, the, and then slide number nine addresses storm drains. And you mentioned, I believe you mentioned there was a, a consultant that goes out every year. No, we, we, this is the first year uh, where your council funded us to be able to hire a consultant who's going to go out and do that assessment for us. Okay. Because for the last couple of years, there's storm drains on Ventura Avenue that are uncovered. And I apologize, I misspoke. This, I was thinking of the sidewalks. We do not have a comprehensive uh, inspection program for storm drains. We will will be asking for money in next year's budget to go and do that. Okay, 
you have several storm drains along Ventura Avenue where the, the covering has been removed. So trash and debris is going right down in it. Um, and, and I think that needs to be addressed as soon as you can. Yep, we'll take a look at that. A couple of them. And then um, the other thing is certain sidewalk areas that have uh, tree root problems, for example, that are on both sides of a bus stop. So Victoria and the government center, the eastbound bus stop, it's, it's southbound, but it's east facing. If you get off the bus there in a wheelchair, there's no direction you can go safely along the sidewalk because the tree roots have so damaged the sidewalk. That's the most egregious one in, in the city of Intra. I'm sorry, where was that again? Vic on Victoria. Mm -hmm. So if I get off the bus to go to a meeting at the government center, I cannot go backwards towards Thiel to cross the street because of tree roots causing the sidewalk to protrude in two directions. And I can't go to the intersection at Victorian Telephone to cross because of the steepness of the, the upgrade of the sidewalk. So those kind of things really mm -hmm. need some focus and to be addressed as soon as they can. And I know you, you need money for it. I understand that. that. That's one category where we do have the funding this year to do that comprehensive assessment, and those are the types of things we'll be looking for. Okay. And, and then the, the grinding. I don't know if it's because our weather has changed so much, but um, across the street, I'm, I'm sure you recall, you did grinding probably in February, maybe earlier. Mm -hmm. the, the grinding itself is fine. All the adjacent bricks are starting to collapse down. Mm -hmm. And on Chestnut, between Santa Clara and Maine, you repaired, I believe, last March with asphalt. And that's all maybe because of the amount of traffic and it, it's on a driveway. So that's all totally deteriorated and dangerous again. So th those kind of things are hard because you've already done them. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't expect to, to have to come back to them. So. Um, I hope that you will do a full assessment of everything. That is the plan. A lot of these, uh, as you've pointed out, we're just kind of chasing them. We're not fixing the problem. We're just uh, putting a Band-Aid on it, if you will. And, and many of these the panels just need to be replaced. The, the, the pavers, we've talked about that a few times. You know, I'm sure at, at one point those looked like a really great idea on Main Street. Uh, we're paying the price now. They're just a nightmare, at least from my perspective, to try to maintain and keep them to be a you know a, a passable service or surface for everyone. Yeah. And we have uh, put a, a project in our CIP that will be coming forward next year for council approval, uh, currently unfunded, but would be to redo all the sidewalks in the downtown area, and really improve that whole all the surface there. You know. Hopefully by then maybe we, we, um, we know what we're doing with regards to Main Street moves and uh, just make that whole area more pedestrian friendly. And I, I want to thank Councilmember Johnson for mentioning telephone poles in the middle of the sidewalks. 
not just along all of but several side streets on the west side and um, fire hydrants and many obstructions and it, those are not just an ADA issue there are a lot of single mothers or families who can't afford two cars who walk their children to school mm -hmm. and a baby carriage and two toddlers and the child that's in kindergarten running ahead all end up in the street because of those obstructions mm -hmm. so that's something at least to start making a plan for that would be part of the assessment and yeah, putting together a plan. The, the, the utility poles are tricky because we have to get Edison to move those or the utility company and they need another location to put them. And in some of those areas, the reason why they're in the sidewalk is there wasn't anywhere else to put it. So those will be a challenge, but I agree, we need to address that. Thank you, Mr. Nelson. Council Member McReynolds. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, <laughs> I wanted to start out, uh, you mentioned the active transportation plan and then I was also, how does the uh, climate action and resiliency plan focus in on what, what we're doing? And I, I really, I think the, the larger question is tree wells. You know, obviously we have a lot of mm -hmm. vacant tree wells. So is that being considered as you're doing these improvements or how, how do the tree wells get? So in, in some of the resurfacing projects where we have empty tree wells, we're actually putting trees in. We work closely with Parks and Rec on that, they have a certain number of trees that they want to plant or they plant each year and that they have resources enough to maintain because you know, there's a two year establishment period and watering and all of that. So they have, they have a certain number that they're able to plant each year uh, that then they can maintain and hopefully get to maturity. So we work with them on locations for that, trying to fill in tree wells where they're vacant. Uh, in some cases, the wells for whatever reason are, are smaller than they really need to be to support the trees that we want to plant. And the ones we want to plant are the ones that have you know, roots that go down and not out. Mm. And those often require larger wells than what we have. So we try to address that during the resurfacing projects. We haven't done it so much in the sidewalk projects because we've really tried to focus the money on the sidewalks. Uh, but it is something we look at with each project. Um, the, whatever kind of landscaping that we go with it. So this kind of brings me to a, a, a larger organizational question, more to the city manager. Uh, I know that uh, we have a vacancy in the Parks and Rec Department. Most of the agencies that I deal with in my professional, uh, when I'm dealing with urban forestry, it's always in public works. It's, I, I don't almost, I, I actually can't think of an instance where I deal with Parks and Rec in terms of urban forestry. And I think it would be easier for uh, Mr. Nelson to coordinate those tree well fill if that budget was potentially in public works as opposed to where you're trying to coordinate two departments on it where there seems to be just a giant overlap in terms of what each you know so he's creating tree wells but he's not filling tree wells the medians are main you know he, he maintains the streets the parks or streets sidewalk curb gutter storm drains but not the medians I mean it seems like there's there's a lot of, you know, missed opportunity to coordinate a better response uh, to those opportunities. And then my question really on the medians, you had mentioned that we're trying to transition away from trees in the medians. I'm like, was that a council decision or why are we doing that? And you might not be the one to answer that yeah. question is it's not in your... Uh, if I may, I'd like to defer that one to Parks and Rec. Okay. As, to, as to that, if I may, Council Member, also respond. 
if, if we as part of a project build a tree well, we'll fill it. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't build empty tree wells. In, in my opinion, our coordination with Parks and Rec with regards to trees and plantings has not been difficult. Um, seems to work very well. Our staffs work well together. You may remember Parks and Rec, as well as water, Ventura Water, used to be part of Public Works many years ago, I think 12, 15 years ago, something like that. And at that time, for reason, for it was deliberately separated out into different departments. So I agree with you. I've often seen urban forestry as part of Public Works. Uh, I've also seen it where there are separate parks departments that they handle all of that. Uh, and just to let your council know, I don't feel there's any degradation in our coordination uh, because they're not located in the same department. And I, I don't disagree that you guys don't work together and try to do that. But again, it's just one additional step that I don't see wh why we're taking additional steps when in, in most agencies, you know, parks are parks and then everything mm -hmm. else is, is public works. And it mm -hmm. just seems like the, the coordination could just be that much stronger, in my, in my opinion, uh, on it. Um, I have a question on item uh, on slide six um, in terms of the uh, sidewalks. What about the creation of new sidewalks? I know like uh, in Montavo, on the west side, in Satakoy, we just don't have sidewalks mm -hmm. because of the age of the, you know, the sidewalks weren't a standard at that, mm -hmm. that time. Is there a plan to bring in new sidewalks also? Uh, thank you for bringing that up. We do. Uh, not a lot, but we do build some new sidewalk. Uh, we have some sections where, for whatever reason, the sidewalk's in and there's a, you know, a gap of maybe a couple hundred feet or a couple blocks. Mm -hmm. And we have filled that in on occasion. Um, when the pedestrian traffic down there really seems to be increasing, it would call for that. Uh, the, the Montalvo that you brought up, that was all part of a grant. So Safe Routes to Schools is a program that the state will fund and sometimes does require the creation of new sidewalks, so we'll put those in. Uh, other than that, we don't have a comprehensive plan to say, uh, we know where we would put them in if we could. Um, I think it probably comes back to the funding. We just, we're struggling with the money we have to maintain what we have, so we don't dedicate a lot of money to building new sidewalk. Uh, but certainly something that could be part of a comprehensive plan that we put together. I guess, like as a follow-up to that, uh, the deputy mayor brought up that they're doing the Bristol, they started the resurfacing of the street uh, today. My question is on the north side, like why didn't they put the sidewalks in? When they, they went through extensive, they, they replaced it looked like 50, 60% of the curb and gutter. And I'm just curious why they didn't put in the, the sidewalk while they were had it all torn out. Uh, well, the sidewalk is you know set off a little bit, so it, we, you can do the sidewalk. Uh, you, the curb and gutter obviously very integral to the asphalt operation, where the sidewalk is not. It really comes down to the funding. Um, with a gas tax SB1 funded project, we have a small percentage we can spend on things that are not asphalt. That's usually eaten up with the curb and gutter, maybe with some landscaping, some stormwater improvements. There's usually not a lot of money left, maybe the ramps, but not enough money to go in and replace the sidewalks. We certainly could do that, but we, we need to augment the project. Create, it would be creating sidewalk in this case. Or creating, but we would need to augment that project with Measure O money. Okay. And so it really comes down to a matter of priorities of where we want to spend the Measure O and, and adding that to those projects. And then while we're on this slide, uh, <clears throat> under the funding, uh, you, you identify uh, you're about seven to 10 years, potentially. 
Um, on none of the other slides, on the ADA ramps, the multi-use, or the storm drain, do you have a timeline? Is, it, is there just not one? Well, the ADA ramps, as I mentioned, it really we have to ask ourselves, what, what is the goal? Are we going to address everything I had on the slide? You know, I, I'd said that's, we're estimating that to be 40 million. Right. There's no funding source identified, so I, I have no idea, other than an infrastructure bond, how to put any kind of timeline on that. Uh, in terms of the others, I, I hesitate because uh, although we don't have a complete assessment of sidewalks, I'd say we have a fairly good one. Whereas in the stormwater, we've only inspected a little over a mile of our 118 miles. Um, so I don't feel like we really know the overall condition well enough to say how much money and how long it would take. And so then kind of going into the, the funding, um, I live in the, the, the community I live in, we have a maintenance assessment district, mm -hmm. so it, which I think the city's adopted on its newer. All the new development, yes. Yeah, all the new development. Mm -hmm. So our, we're, we're creating a sinking fund, I guess, mm -hmm. for our maintenance. So it seems to be pretty regularly. They just came in and redid all of the painting on, mm -hmm. you know, uh, in my neighborhood um, on it. Is there an opportunity where we could, instead of necessarily a bond, where we could do a volunteer, I know like a voluntary maintenance assessment district similar to uh, the undergrounding survey that's mm -hmm. going on right now. They're asking if people would be willing to underground, you know, pay for that. Is it, it something that, as opposed to a bond, could we go to a neighborhood and say, you know, would you be willing to tax yourself $100 a year to ensure that you have mm -hmm. curb, gutter, sidewalks, streets? Well, we certainly could. Uh, if a neighborhood wanted to do that, I mentioned the bond is just really one option. Could establish maintenance assessment districts if a community wanted to do that. I believe that would be a Prop 218 initiative. Um, you know, there might be other ways to do it. There's a you know another measure O type um, uh, gas or a tax increase that would be focused directly on this. The attractive part about a bond is you've got the money up front to do the work. So if we create the maintenance assessment district, it might be. 10, 15 years before there's enough money to actually do the street work. Mm -hmm. uh, the bond gives you that up front. And even though it might be a, a, overall a large bond, like uh, Ventura Unifieds is a pretty large bond, you don't get all that money at the beginning. You just, you know, you, you issue the bonds as you need them to do the work that's planned to do it. So, but yes, to your point, there are probably a few other options that haven't mentioned that we could do this. So my last question is with climate change. Uh, you mentioned that you know we had a 100-year event just recently. We'll probably have another one with the El Nino potentially this year. Mm -hmm. Are you looking at resizing the, the systems or like, I, I understand what you were saying where a 100-year event might be, maybe I would, it's not. I would <laughs> say that the, the, the engineering standard for municipalities is a 10-year event. If we wanted to change our, our criteria to a 100-year event, I would look for council to give us that direction. And before I asked you to do that, I need to give you a price tag yeah. of what that would take. So I, I have a, a, a kind of throw it back to you is, is the engineering standard, are they looking at changing the engineering standard? No, I'm not aware of any, any community looking at changing the engineering standard. That was really mm -hmm. my question. Okay, thank you. Um, I have a couple of questions and then uh, Councilmember Johnson. So on the stormwater drainage system, um, so those are corrugated pipes uh, some of them. Some are concrete, some are open, you know, channel. And do we have some of those in hillsides? Mm -hmm. Yes. 
Well, I, I hope, um, unfortunately, I have some experience with water damage that was caused by old pipes in San Diego. And um, San Diego is a very old infrastructure town, and they still had clay pipes. Mm -hmm. And when they went in there, they found out they didn't have any clay left, that they just had the circumference of the old pipe. So um, I, I hope at some time we can make that a high priority to take a look at those pipes so they don't create issues or help create issues. My, my other kind of question or statement would be, sometimes I feel like uh, you're in the World Series of Infrastructure and, and we're asking you to get a base hit, but we're not giving you a baseball bat. Uh, I think it's time for us in February, I think we have our goals meeting, and I hope we're all willing to take a look at funding sources to get us up to speed. Because in my opinion, I just don't see how on a year-over-year -year basis we're going to be able to put in 10 million more dollars in ADA ramps and 20 million more in um, sidewalks. And uh, I think we better be prepared to take a look at this. And I hope we're willing to take a look at it as a goal. And I think that's all I got. Councilmember Johnson. Thank you. I have uh, another question before we have time just for, for comments, but then I do have some of those. But so how closely are you working with risk management and deciding where to prioritize all these different things? We work with them on terms of the claim history and what kind of claims we've been seeing from, um, usually it's mostly sidewalks. I'm not aware of claims on any of the other uh, infrastructure. Um, so risk is not so much uh, identifying where we, we should be doing the next repair, only what types of uh, conditions seem to be producing those liabilities and claims. So we take that data. We work very closely with the city attorney in terms of disruptions and you know what other municipalities are experiencing. And then with that information, we look at what we know and prioritize based on that. Either the disruption uh, size, and also location. So we look at where are the high pedestrian areas uh, around schools in the, uh, the medical area, uh, other locations. And um, so that's kind of how we do the prioritization there. We do have a system for that. Thank you. And as you work on these strategies, will you uh, run them by risk management and see if they have ideas on what best practices there may be um, as, as we look at, at creating these strategies? We, we would. So after the assessment, we know we have a much better comprehensive picture, and we put together what we think would work and how it mitigates risk. We certainly would want their input to see if there's something we've missed. Thank you. I'm just thinking, you know, you know, there may be some best management practices on the data that you would collect for, mm -hmm. for making decisions and, and what we could do for that. Thank you, Mr. Nelson. Okay, on to public comments. Mr. City Clerk. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. I do have about five or six public speaker cards submitted so far. Our first speaker of the evening is going to be James Harbeck, followed by Sarah Ostrander. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen of the City Council, Mayor, City Manager, Attorney Michael. A friend of mine said that we want to share the stoke 
about Ventura City. And I think we're all in agreement that we want to do that. Unfortunately, every single exit that you get off of here in Ventura has problems. Now, I realize that there are exits off of the freeway, but you get off of Victoria. You go north on Victoria, all you're doing is dodging potholes, and then all of a sudden you have the sinkhole problem. Same with the southbound side of Victoria. Also, if you go down Mills, it's nothing but potholes, problems, Main Street. I think you all get my picture here. We all know the problem. We all drive the streets in Ventura. And I guess what the bottom line is, is we need to get this poor man some more money, somehow, some way. Um, something on page six here that I'll read you. The biggest impairment to improving the overall condition of all capital assets owned by the city is funding. He mentioned that probably seven or eight times tonight. Uh, my neighbor next door had to replace his front end at a cost of a few hundred dollars because he ran over a pothole. How many more times is this gonna take before the city makes some changes? Now, I've been coming to meetings since September 11th, every single one, and I haven't heard anything about the streets in all those meetings. Now, I don't know when the last time you talk, talked about streets was, I'll have to research that myself and find that out. But again, it goes back to budgeting, making priorities, and let's make that the goal here in 2024. Thank you for your time. Next speaker, Sarah Ostrander, followed by Bert Handy. Good evening. <clears throat> My name is Sarah Ostrander, and I am the chair of the East Ventura Community Council. I wanted to tell you that Mr. Nelson and a couple of his associates uh, were on our uh, council meeting in October and they addressed many of the questions that the people had and they were very professional. So I thank you for that. One of the issues that is very, has been brought up by several parents of our students at Atlas School. The children have to cross um, the expressway, the 126 expressway, and Mr. Nelson did say that they are working on a sidewalk plan for that area, but the whole Atlas School area is very dangerous for the children, and we just want to make sure that our children are safe to walk to school and until the parents from Atlas School say they're safe to walk there, the East Ventura Community Council is going to continue to speak out on behalf of those children because I've driven down there and um, I have to admit, I'm probably a little fast sometimes on Satakoy, but I would not like my children to walk to school there. Um, the Satakoy areas, it's uh, dangerous. And the, you know, not only that, some of the parents have almost come to blows at, you know, trying to pick their children up. So, but I do want to thank you and I want to thank the police department that they have 
attempted to slow traffic down on Darling Road um, at the time of uh, school. So I'm very impressed that this, you know, everyone's working together on that project. Thank you. Bert Handy, followed by Spencer Noren. Good evening, Council. How are you on this lovely Monday night? I've lived in Ventura for about 40 years, and I've lived on Poli for about 30 of that. While I've lived there, I've, had, I've been hit six times pulling in and out of my driveway. The, some issues that I see in that area, the drain of Pacific and Poli, it used to be curved in quite deeply. Over the repaves numerous times on the north side of Poli right at Pacific, they have filled it up so far that the water hits it and then goes completely across Pacific. They completely destroyed what the original people had designed. That needs to be reevaluated. The sidewalk at Pacific and Lincoln is basically very, very bad because it's on one side. There's street lights in the sidewalks. I see at least, when I'm there all day and I'm running around doing stuff around the house, sometimes in the backyard and I can see it, there's at least two to 300 people on that street a day walking it, running it. We have students from Ventura High School, pedestrians walking down Poli on the south side of the street where there's no sidewalk. Cars are, dart are darting around them. I've even seen Ventura High School students running down that street. I've talked to the high school. I don't think it should be being done, and I think that needs to be really evaluated. One of my suggestions for that would be to shut Poli down between Pacific and Lincoln, make it a one-way street, I brought this up before, it's never been addressed. You make the westbound poli one way, you shut down the eastbound poli and make them go down and use Main Street. If they did that, then they would have the ability between poli and Pacific to be able to put a bike lane in there, pedestrian walkways in there, and make it a safe area. It's one of the be most beautiful streets coming down out of the area but you really don't be able to, aren't able to see it when you're walking. The other thing is you've got six or seven streets between City Hall and Lincoln that they could go down to hit Main Street. Pacific is a very wide street with a turn onto Poli going eastbound, which would not affect the traffic. It's really a very good flow area to do that. Tree roots on Thompson, east of San Hone. It's very, very bad because if, um, Liz was down there, she would not be able to move down there. Homeowners working with the sidewalk people, uh, with the city to be able to get their sidewalks. Is that still a plan that's going on? I didn't hear it mentioned tonight. Let's see, what else was there? Also, the water on Main Street used to be very, very bad in the area Pacific. As a matter of fact, they were putting sandbags in front of all the businesses there. That seems to have been addressed and been taken care of. I don't know what they did to resolve it, but they have resolved it. Thank you for your time. Spencer Norn, followed by Lisa Wolf. Thank you, Michael. Mayor, Council, BPD, translation. This is the topic that's near and dear to my heart. I'm riding the scooter, I'm out and about. People know this, so please follow me. Appreciate that. Former Parks and Rec Commissioner knowledge coming in deep. Mr. Nelson, you've been awesome. The Parks and Rec Manager before that had all the sole decision making on all trees moving forward. I really support what Councilmember McReynolds says about somehow finding in the budget 
I may even maybe even suggesting environmental sustainability. How does that work out for the trees, urban forestry moving forward? Because if we look at our tree master plan, the very first bullet point in this 14 pages, reduce pollution through recycling air and water. It's right there being said. We talk about climate change, global action, right? And I love Liz. I'm out there with Liz and we talk about this all the time. I want access, but it's also about expectation. If we have roads like on Whittier that my family has lived on for a long time, do we have to have both sidewalks free and clear both ways and the middle of the street free and clear if we have these wonderful mature urban forestry trees helping the lifestyle in the college area? I think we look specifically at each tree almost. And with the philosophy, again, due to Mr. Nelson, full respect, we haven't been following when we take down trees. There's four or five instances of medians and sidewalks, and we lose a tree, we repave it back, for sure. One is on Kimball, one is on Telephone and Johnson, and the last one was on California Street in Thompson when a red flowering eucalyptus tree fell over by, I think, La Rose, and the sidewalk is now paved back over. Now, I understand what Mr. Handy is saying, that we'd want red flowering eucalyptus trees maybe on the, on, the, on the parkways, but we do want them across our city, right in our tree master plan right here. Um, our city, do we all know what our city tree is in the city of Ventura? Just at a kind of an open-ended question. It's the red flowering eucalyptus tree, right? Because it only grows in this city on the California coast and Santa Monica. And I can get into what it says here in the first paragraph about how we have to make the best attempt to plant the red flowering eucalyptus tree to show the malpractice we've had. My question is, how many red eucalyptus trees have we planted in the last couple of years? Where did we plant them? It's the number one priority in our tree master plan. So it shows the plan wasn't being followed. It shows that what was going on in urban forestry was whatever wanted to happen. And I know that specifically because of conditional use permit of trees that were being removed on Phil and Saratoga, mature pine trees by the Imperial uh, Mobile Home Park, that that instance still hasn't been addressed. They actually removed oh, another one of those pine trees just a few months ago, Mr. City Manager. I know this is dear and dear to your heart, riding around, walking in our city. I had more instances. I probably should ask for more time. Thank you, Mr. Nelson. Lisa Wolf, followed by Shoshana Cohen. Hi, I hate I'm so nervous just to talk to you guys. I've been here now about three or four months coming to all the meetings and I'm finally brave enough to talk. Okay, um, I think Mr. Nelson needs more money because I just got really taken back by Liz talking and saying from Santa Clara to the mission or the museum that there's places that a wheelchair could tip over. like. That's human life. Like that's a person in a wheelchair that could tip over, and and you like just said, well, we don't have any money. Well, I can give you money. I don't have a lot of money, but it's human life. Like can't those be like our priorities? I understand. Like there's so many sidewalks, so many um, routes and stuff happening, but like that was pretty heavy what she said. So. That's all. I just wanted to say that it affected me like, oh, oh my God, like somebody could fall over in a wheelchair. That just breaks my heart. Um, I know it's a big job. You're doing a great job. And um, maybe I'll win the lottery and give you all my money. <laughs> so anyway, that's it. Thanks. Shoshana, you should be able to unmute yourself. 
Shoshana, you should be able to unmute yourself. If not, we'll go to the next speaker. Sam, you should be able to unmute yourself. Good evening. Are you guys able to hear me all right? We can. Perfect. Um, I've been a resident here in Ventura for about 14 years, eight months, roughly eight days, might be 10 days. I'm not sure right now. I haven't kept that close of a track. But one thing I have noticed um, from before my move is the sidewalks here are absolutely horrible. They're filled with cracks and they're filled with bumps. And outside of the main motorways or public traffic ways, the sidewalks aren't upkept as much as they should be. Yes, there's wonderful foliage, there's wonderful trees and stuff along most of the routes, most of the routes that I travel daily. But, I mean, I, I ride in a wheelchair scooter. I, I don't have the same mobility as somebody who can walk on their own two feet can. So if I'm not going right down Main Street or some other main traffic avenue, some major vein or artery of the city, then I get all of these bumps and it's it, it's just terrible. I think that with the tax dollars that I'm putting in, we should be able to, and not just myself, I'm talking for all other residents around here, we should be able to get our public infrastructure up to par with other neighboring cities and neighboring counties. It shouldn't be a Ventura issue to go and fix some small sidewalk issue. And that was just one of the parts here. Um, I did also want to talk about the landscaping. Um, we need more trees available in the city. I like what the city has been doing, planting new trees, and I just think we need to accelerate that. The more trees we have, the more trees we have available for hanging these niggers in the future. And I Excuse think that's me, Mr. Speaker, under the Brown Act, speakers must limit their comments to items within the subject matter of the city council. Your comments are not and are disrupting the meeting. If you do not keep your comments limited to items within the subject matter of the council, your opportunity to speak will be ended. How is planting trees within the city, not within the purview of the city council, may I ask you? Go ahead with your comment. How is planting trees not within the purview of the city council when I talk about planting trees in the city to hang all these niggers? Next speaker is Shoshana. Hi, yeah, can you hear me? Yes. Wonderful, wonderful. So, um, yeah, it was an awful call. Uh, I hope we're not going through this again. Um, yeah, I really like trees. I, I, I have a couple on my property, and trees are just awesome. Um, I already have, um, I, I pre-installed uh, nooses on the trees for all the niggers under the brown act speakers must limit their comments to items within the subject matter of the council your comments are not and are disrupting the meeting if you do not keep your comments limited to items within the subject matter of this council your opportunity to speak will be ended i'm so sorry i just get really upset when you read the adl's prepared statement about the niggers and that's the it you can terminate our next speaker is s cattleberg Go ahead. Can you guys hear me? We can. I will just say at the outset, under the Brown Act, speakers must limit their comments to items 
within the subject matter of the City Council. Your comments are not and are disrupting the meeting. If you do not keep your comments limited to items within the subject matter of the Council, your opportunity to speak will be ended. This is uh, an admonition to all speakers on the Zoom call. And if you begin to speak on items outside of the subject matter of the jurisdiction, we will end your time. Thank you. Hello? Yes, go ahead with your comments. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna be talking about agenda three. Um, the streets and our sidewalks that connect our homes, schools, and businesses are in uh, dire need of repair and enhancement. Yet it's disheartening to see that vast sums being allocated to foreign aid while our local necessities are so being You can end the time. He's speaking uh, on something outside the jurisdiction of the council. Thank you. Our next speaker is Trevor Gotsman. Trevor, go ahead. Hi, um, Trevor Gotsman here. Good evening, Mayor, City Council, community members, city staff. Um, I'm calling on the phone and I'm deaf, so that's why I'm calling on the phone. But I wanted to speak on the sidewalk issue around uh, De Anza School. I live here, they're very narrow sidewalks. Franklin Lane has a very dangerous corner where it meets Cameron. There is no sidewalk. And um, you really have to cross over and it's, uh, there are cars parked right there. So every time, doesn't matter, 24 seven, you're going to have to be very, very careful. Um, so I'm quite surprised that that has never been addressed. Uh, my suggestion really comes down to, because we're looking at budgeting and finance, is get back to basics and let's build the footpaths around the city so that people who do not drive, who do not promote the climate change, who do not promote the internal combustion of uh, fossil fuels and what have you, let those, and that's an ever-growing number, and find ways around and around our town. You know, we've got the beaches, but we've got the, they, they being eroded, no doubt, and because of climate change is coming up. So, with that, And all of this comes down to the same thing. The mountains will flow down into the sea. We are an accelerated place because where everything is being told constantly and shaken. And 100 years, you know, we're going to have much more than 100 year floods. But really, I'm suggesting footpaths, 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 through, around, above Poli, around the town, let the high schoolers run on the footpaths, and just like, you know, let the public maintain it. You know, you've got Montecito, you've got us neighboring towns, uh, even Thousand Oaks, they've got their, you know, their wildwood trails. So these are things that really the kids really love to do, and it's a healthy outlet, and the community can maintain those. That is not a public works project. It's just under the auspices, and this is how we can get back to the community where we can all build uh, trust and trust because really these narrow roads, one thing I wanted to mention also on these narrow sidewalks around the west side, you've got cars, they, they pack in so they park on the sidewalk and um, just like the growth coming out then sometimes they're good deeds, people trying to put their little boxes for books and produce, that pro, you know, pro, uh, they, they intrude on the sidewalk. So, so these are accidents waiting to happen, but we're all 
take our responsibility and we're all very careful and let's care for each other and look at us. So thank you very much. Look forward to seeing the rest of the evening. Goodbye. That concludes public comment on item number three. Council deliberation. Councilmember Johnson. Thank you. Uh, if it would be, would it be appropriate to ask Mr. Nelson to some questions to follow up on some of those ask comments? Ask away. Thank you. So um, if, if you could touch on three things, please, uh, Mr. Nelson, you can write these down. Uh, could you explain how, or, or somebody, uh, how, the, how the process works when somebody has claims for a pothole? Um, could you please explain just briefly the pavement management plan and how somebody could get take a look at it? And then if you could just give really sort of a high-level look at uh, what this council has done about funding for streets and sidewalks recently. Thank you. Uh, thank you, council member. Uh, first, with regard to claims, uh, it's simply uh, potholes or any other uh, thing that a resident may, or anyone might believe uh, their personal effects were damaged by city property. Uh, we just simply file a claim against the city. Uh, we have a, a website on the city clerk's page dedicated to that, uh, and they just fill out the form, submit that, gets investigated and adjudicated. Uh, the pavement management plan is published on our city website underneath Public Works. Uh, the simplest way to get to it is if you go to the homepage, top right-hand corner, there's a search uh, box. Type in pavement management, and it's going to pull it right up for you. You can take a look at it there. And council has um, upped the funding dramatically quite a bit in terms of uh, street maintenance, as I reported in April. So I forgot the exact numbers, but it's a significant increase. Uh, we've got a number of projects, which I'll be talking about in the CIP update coming up later, of uh, the work we've got going now in Bristol, but other work also that should be coming out to bid here soon. So council has put more money towards this issue, which we're very thankful for. It certainly will help. Um, but as I've indicated tonight, you know, it's still still more is needed. Thank you so much. Uh, just just my some of my comments on the things that came up. I you know I, I really hope we can get rid of those Charlie Brown stripes downtown. They're a hazard. Um, I've tripped. My wife's wheelchair has had trouble with them. They don't look good. Um, so, so so the question about you know the department, which department it falls in it. Urban forestry used to be in public works about 15 years ago because before Mike Malore, we had Nathan Slack. Before Nathan Slack, our tree guy was Dan O'Connell, and he worked in public works. And so that would have been like 2005, I think, was when I met Dan O'Connell, when a tree fell on somebody's house on my street. Um, and so we certainly have done it that way in the past. I will say this, and I'm going to surprise some people here. Um, when we talk about an infrastructure bond, I, I have real misgivings about it because I have misgivings about what we're doing with Measure O. And, you know, I'm, I'm coming to feel that we maybe need to repeal and replace Measure O. And if we can't get that stuff straightened out, I couldn't support an infrastructure bond. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Thank you, Mayor. Councilmember Duran. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, Mr. Nelson, thank you so much for, for your report. And I, and I, you know, I read it. I read it when we got it, listening to you speak, listening to all the comments. And I appreciate the public's comments in regards to getting you more money. That, that, that's, I, I'm like, man, you, 
you have, there is so much to do. And I think every one of us, we've received emails over, since I got elected, though probably the number one email we receive are, when are you gonna fix this? How are you gonna fix that? When I was campaigning and walking the sidewalks, I, I just wanna let you know, I'm happy that we were able to give you more money uh, this last time around, but I'm in agreement with our mayor. Like we really need to have a conversation about how we're gonna get this fixed. There, there's, there's no doubt we have to do something. We, we really have to make a, a decision to do that. Just, just a couple of questions. I'm guessing to keep a street from, uh, or, or anything from getting to the critical factor, is it just the money thing? I mean, because we do, a, from what I understand, we do a pretty good job of managing, but then we know that they're, they're bad. We just can't get to them. Correct. I mean, there, there are three reasons why we wouldn't get to it. Uh, we wouldn't want to, we don't know how to, or we don't have the money to do it. And it, it's the latter. Well, everyone on staff would love to fix every street, you know, every sidewalk, everything that I've talked about. Uh, we are concerned about it as well. Uh, we certainly have the know-how. We have a very capable, competent uh, staff. It really comes down to the funding to be able to execute on it. Um, given that, it, it, if I could back up with the bond, and I'll use streets as an example, a lot of the work we need to do is resurfacing. If we had had the money a few years back, we could have been slurry sealing a number of those streets, and we wouldn't need to be replacing them today. So if we could get those to a place where we have good pavement, and it doesn't have to be all new, but we're able to be in a place, and we probably do get enough funding from the state for a robust slurry seal program, and keep them from ever going over that edge where they need resurfacing, uh, it's just getting to that point where we could just get into kind of that, when I say that steady state. Uh, same thing with regard to the storm rains. You know, I mentioned the concrete are pretty good. Uh, the CMP is what needs to be replaced. CMP can be used today, but there are other materials that are available to us that maybe we could use that have a much longer lifespan. So if we could get again to a steady state, then we might have the maintenance dollars in our current budgets uh, to keep that going. And, and I could go the same way with each category. If we could address the root problem and fix those sidewalks, we're gonna be golden for decades. It's the tree roots, that's the issue. So um, it, when I mention a infusion of funding, it's to get us to that point where now with the funding we have, we could actually maintain that at a pretty good level for a long period of time. Thank you. Um, you, you had a comment about the roots. And um, there's certain trees we, we can plant, right? That, mm -hmm. And so I, I'm guessing that many of those trees weren't planted in the past, and that's why we're having the issue that we have today. We, in the past, for whatever reason, we chose beautiful trees. I mean, it, we all love the canopies. They look great. Uh, you know, I'd love to live on those streets, too. But we didn't choose. We choose them for appearance, not for their longevity. Yeah. Um, the, the trees now that Parks and Rec has prescribed for us to use uh, have roots that go much deeper. Uh, so we believe that if we, and those are the trees we plant now when we plant trees, uh, that we won't have this problem 20, 30 years from now. And um, when we were talking about the um, the drains and the things like that, um, that <clears throat> you said, well, you, you made a comment about we don't really have a, um, a strategic plan for that. Mm -hmm. And so, but how do you check those? I know like if we have a leak or something, we can get a leak detector guy to come out and 
and, and figure out if we have a leak somewhere. How do you do that with those types? So, so these drains are different from like a water line where you would have leaking because that line's under pressure. Uh, these, it's typically because we know where uh, maybe it didn't flood a few years ago and now it's flooding a lot, or we know the CMP is very old, so we're pretty sure it's deteriorated. The way you inspect that is, is to put a camera down the line. And so we've been, we use consultants, there are a number of firms that will do this. It's fairly expensive. Uh, we're looking into, if we're gonna do a comprehensive review of 118 miles, although not all of it is closed pipe, uh, and then continue that, maybe it makes sense for us to own our own equipment. Ventura Water did this a number of years ago. They have their own equipment. Similar but different from what we would need. Um, but how would we then conduct that? But you, the, the bottom line is you have to put a camera uh, down the line to take a look. Thank you. Thank you very much for everything. Thank you. Mr. McReynolds and then Councilmember Campos. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, I have questions on the funding. Uh, so twofold question. Uh, so most of the funding for this comes from gas tax or just exclusively the roads? Uh, roads is gas tax. So streets and roads are gas tax. And SB1, which is you know a, a similar to gas tax, an augmentation. Okay, so I guess not quite on topic, but so with the switch over to electric vehicles, are we seeing a reduction? In not yet, but that is something that is being talked about in all the municipalities and at the state level, a recognition that as we have more and more EVs, obviously less and less fuel purchased, less and less gas tax, the, the state recognizes they need to come up with a different funding mechanism for maintaining all of our roads and highways. Don't know what that looks like yet. And then, so why is gas tax only allowed for roads as opposed to the curb and gutter and the sidewalk? Which is it is allowed for the curb and gutter. Um, and then there is a percentage, a small amount of the project which can go to sidewalk, landscape, those kinds of things. Those are just the rules that the state has come out with. Um, probably in recognition of there's not enough funding to address the need. As I talked about it in April with the pavement management plan, you know, they, they probably are funding, well, well, every two years there's a statewide uh, needs assessment that's done. And we're in the middle of doing the next cycle. And I forget the numbers, but it's in the billions, which the, show, the state is deficient in, not only in funding all of the highways, but all of the locals, roads and streets. So they really want that money focused on pavement and very closely associated ancillary work to the pavement. And then in terms of trying to get you more road or more funding, in terms of this question's kind of directed at Mr. Uh, our CFO. Uh, in terms of, have we seen an uptick in gas? I mean, I know gas prices are still hovering around six dollars. Have we seen an increase in gas tax revenue? Well, yeah, I would defer to Mr. Morley for specifics, but we have seen increases year over year um, as to the percentages, and if the amount of that increase is starting to drop off. I would defer to him for the specifics. I guess my, my specific question is that money, regardless, so if we budget a million dollars of gas tax revenue, mm -hmm. but then it comes in at one and a half, that only goes to roads, right? We don't have a, an option to do anything else with it. Like we don't have to 
redirect that money. The gas tax, no. No, it, it's just, it's going to go to roads. It, and the SB1 is controlled even tighter. We have to submit to the state, here are the projects we're going to spend that money on, and then we report after we've done that. So the larger point is all of that money is tightly controlled. Yes. And exactly where it can go. Yes. Okay, thank you. Councilmember Compost. So, Mr. Nelson, you did you mentioned that part of the problem of planting trees had to do with staffing. But I I would like to remind you maybe, or maybe you weren't aware, about six years ago, um, a large group of trees were planted along Ventura Avenue, um, golden medallion trees, I believe, and they were planted with a special bag on them that fills with water and members of the community using city recycled water kept them filled and those trees are 15 and 20 feet high now and it didn't take any city staff from any department to take care of them the community took care of them during covid a grant was provided for a certain area of the west side to plant shade trees on sidewalks and fruit trees in front yards. I don't know if your staff dug the holes or if they were done independently, but those trees all are thriving now and no city staff has ever put a drop of water on them. They're cared for by the community. And I believe that the neighborhoods in Ventura have plenty of people in the community willing to take care of trees. I think we just need to set up a program and ask. Uh, thank you for that. I, I was aware of that. And if I said that the limitation was staff, um, uh, that's not entirely correct, because I think believe it's more funding. Most of the tree maintenance is done by contract. And really, Parks and Rec is the, is the department that should be providing the detail. But I know we've, we've talked with them about this as well. And trying to organize community groups to do the watering what I had learned or have heard previously is that they've had difficulty finding community groups that will initially will say they'd like to do it, but when it comes down to actually signing up to do it, uh, the people don't materialize. So I'm glad to hear that it, in the cases you've explained, it's actually occurred, uh, but that's it's been a challenge for them, is my understanding, in the past in other areas. Thank you. Uh, council, I was told by the city clerk that two people were um, accidentally cut off um, that wanted to, to speak. So yes, uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. There was them? some confusion in the chat. We do have uh, Glenn Overly, uh, Carba, and a Kai C as uh, three speakers. And I will remind the speakers that under the Brown Act, speakers must limit their comments to items within the subject matter of the council. Your comments, uh, if they are not, and they disrupt the meeting, you will not keep your, uh, and you do not keep your comments limit, limited to items within the subject matter of the council, your opportunity to speak will be ended. Glenn Overly, our first speaker. Glenn, you should be able to unmute yourself. Hear me, Michael? We can. Go for it. Michael, can you hear me? We can, yes. Thank you. Mr. Nelson, thank you for your great presentation. I agree with Councilmember McReynolds' comments on the responsibility being removed from Parks and Rec and 
relisted under public works. The neighborhood I live in in Midtown, which is old Midtown, we have uh, many structures that are very old, maybe not as old as the people that are actually living in them. Last couple of years on our corner, we had an ADA ramp added. I wanna thank the city for that. This ramp is heavily used by the ADA challenged, our elderly community who walks this area, and lots of small children on all types of transportation, push bikes, skateboards, regular bikes, etc. In tonight's comments, I did not hear Mr. Nelson discuss curbing. A couple of months ago, council passed a curb replacement program to share costs with citizens. My question is, is that um, program operational at this point? My second question, can council include curbing in their goals to improve or set a benchmark for acceptable curbing standards throughout the city? One of the items that was listed in the agenda says public spaces. Public spaces is listed on the agenda. I wanna talk about the uh, public bathrooms. Years ago, Pat and I went to Ireland and in Ireland, when you go through the different townships, they take pride in their public restrooms as everybody in the town and also people visiting Ireland use those. They actually receive awards for cleanliness of their bathrooms. Our golf course has to be the worst bathroom I've ever been in. On the city inventory, it shows the golf course as one of the public bathrooms. This bathroom can be used by people that are traveling. It can be used by golfers and it could be used by bicyclists. I think the useful lifespan of the trailer type bathroom has exceeded, has been exceeded and is in need of repair. My comment and question is, can we charge a user fee of maybe $1 at the golf course for every golfer that plays around there? Maybe we could use that money to replace. And finally, the bond idea that Mr. Nelson talked about, I would say put that on hold until we understand water pure costs and their overruns. I don't think this is a good idea at this time. Thank you. Our next speaker is Karba. Karba, you should be able to unmute yourself. Okay, Karba, go ahead. Karba? Okay, Karpa, we'll come back to you. Kai C. Kai, go ahead. Yeah, sorry about that. I asked to speak in the, on number three, and I think the clerk overlooked it. It's probably got their hands full. Anyways, about the uh, sidewalks, I just wanted to quickly say, um, it definitely need repairs on the sidewalks, but more importantly, uh, adding in sidewalks by our schools because uh, it's just very dangerous when those kids get out of school. You just you never know when some nigger's gonna come up. Your comments are not uh, relevant to subject matter of this council, and your time to speak is abandoned. Thank you. Fuck nigger. Carba, last chance, Carba. 
should be able to unmute. Go ahead, Karba. It shows you unmuted. We still can't hear you. Okay, Karba, last chance. Mr. Mayor, that concludes public comment. Uh, thank you. There's um, <clears throat> no actions to be taken on this motion, so we'll go on to the next item on the agenda, which is City Charter Amendment Discussion Workshop Number 1. Mr. Nelson, thanks again. Thank you. Mr. Heglin, you want to drive this, you yes. and your staff? Yes, Mr. Mayor, thank you very much. Uh, as you recall, the city council uh, had a goal for the city attorney's office to come back with some uh, potential uh, city charter amendments. Uh, we've been to the council before on the process and the council had directed us to, to bring this back during uh, regular city council meetings. Uh, and so we are coming back for the first of what we think will be three workshops uh, on this subject. I've got with me tonight uh, Monica De La Hoya, our Assistant City Attorney, and Miles Hogan, as you know, our Senior Assistant City Attorney. Uh, Ms. De La Hoya will be running the uh, presentation and walking the council through the discussion tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Hagland. Good evening, council. During today's workshop, um, yes, we are going to, um, go over the proposed amendments that were, have been compiled so far. And I've divided up these amendments into four categories, which are the cleanup amendments, the amendments to align um, the charter with our current municipal code or state law, other amendments, and the compensation amendments. I'd like to note that um, where it says municipal slash state law alignment amendments, that doesn't mean that we are mandated to align with um, state law or that we have to follow state law. It's just what the state law um, is and our new um, codifier recommended these amendments. So as quick background, on September the 25th, 2023, the council directed staff to conduct a series of workshops to evaluate the proposed charter amendments. So what we're gonna do during this first workshop is to discuss, evaluate, and um, provide direction on which proposed charter amendments to present to voters for the November 2024 election. There's approximately about 25 um, amendments to discuss, and some of them will be, we'll be able to go through them very quickly, and some of them will require a little more discussion. Okay, um, and then um, just for you to um, be aware for what we have planned for workshop number two, is to come back with further information and, and reports um, on anything that you direct us 
too. For example, if you if you say that this amendment requires, you know, we want this information, um, additional analysis, um, then we would come back with that information for workshop number two. And then for workshop number three, what we plan to discuss then is obtain direction from you as to whether or not you want to proceed with a charter review committee and also a ballot strategy. And um, during this workshop and the subsequent workshops, what we are um, recommending to council is for you to consider and direct us as to whether any of these amendments are amendments that you would like a future um, charter review committee to review for the November 2026 election. And as I, as I stated in the staff report, um, you are not precluded from presenting to voters um, an amendment on a topic and then having a, a review committee, a charter review committee, look at the same topic for the November 2026 election. As far as the process for today, um, we're gonna have public comment, we're gonna discuss the proposed amendments individually, then we're gonna ask that you direct us as to you know whether you like something and wanna add it to the resolution, whether you don't, or whether you want us to return with more information. And then at the end, if there's any additional amendments that, um, that have come up or that you already know you want added but are not on our list, um, then please let me know as well. And then you can see that Mr. Hogan is here and, and he's here to um, help me keep notes and you know, he's not here to um, you know, make sure we have the exact language as to how the um, language on the resolution for the ballot is, gonna look, is going to look, but just to help me keep notes. Um, as a reminder, once we get past the three workshops and we draft the resolution that is um, going to have the language that's gonna be for the ballot, that's another opportunity for the council to look at the exact language that's gonna be presented to voters. So is there any questions at this point as to far as So, Mr. Elhoyce, if I got it, so we have four categories to go over, right? So some cleanup language, some quote alignment, the compensation and other amendments. Yes. You're gonna take us through that. Yes. We'll give you general direction this way and, and then get public comment. Um, We're going to take public comments first no. before the council, before we start walking through the workshop. Okay. All right. So do we go to public comments now? Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. We do have three speakers this evening for public comment. Our first one is Spencer Noren. And I will remind the speakers that under the Brown Act, speakers must limit their comments to items within the subject matter of the city council. If the comments are not within the subject matter of the city council and disrupt the meeting, uh, they will, the speakers will not be able to uh, continue to speak uh, on, the, on this item. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. City Attorney. Michael, Mayor, Council, VPD, Translation. Thank you as always. Charter amendments, very important. I'm curious, this took a long time to get here. The one that I specifically want to look at is elected mayor. I came here, I believe, six weeks ago in a room that was full to the brim, and I asked, raise your hand if you wanted to be elected mayor. We remember, I think, about 90, 95% of the room all raised their hands. So I would like council tonight to direct staff to bring that forward to see what that would look like. What would be the options for us to have elected a mayor? 
I know there's a lot of different talk about districts, realigning districts in the future. How does that look? Kind of moving forward, I think it's super important. Um, I had a, thought of something real fast. Oh, this is what it was. Elected mayor, I think, would be super solid because then it could give the person that represents that district more time and onus. I think we can all agree that Mayor Schrader has been doing the most work from what I've heard the last 12, 18 months, the ceremonial stuff, all that different stuff. I think it kind of takes away from the time of that district. So if we have a mayor that can represent as a whole, not a district, as we all say, all the district members have said, you know, they look at the council as the city as a whole, but as time's going by, I hear conversation getting a little more detailed and specifically within the districts, which I think is great. Different representation. Liz's been doing an amazing job on the east side. Doctor, been doing an awesome job on the east side. I like that that's happening. So if we do go to an elected mayor, I like that perspective to where it gives somebody that can see the city as a whole and not look specifically at one district. Thank you. Our next speaker is Paul Copley. Paul, you should be able to unmute yourself. Mr. Mayor and distinguished council members, my name is Paul Copley and I am the Ventura County Coordinator and a volunteer for the California Ranked Choice Voting Coalition. I'm speaking to you tonight not just as a resident of Ventura County and frequent visitor to the city of Ventura, but as a passionate supporter of democracy and in particular our elections. Ventura has a unique opportunity coming up in 2024 in that a charter review has been produced and a series of recommendations that the City Council can put forth to the voters are here. I've read through the proposed charter amendments and while the charter review process has yielded some excellent results, there is more that I would like to see the City consider for the 2024 election. I suggest that the City Council add one more item to the next workshop session. Please ask the charter review body to prepare information for the City Council about implementing ranked choice voting or RCV for all city level elections. Furthermore, Please ask the group to prepare information about what a transition to proportional ranked choice voting would look like. In the most recent election, two of the four city council seats were decided without the winner achieving a majority. Majorities are incredibly important for ensuring that winning candidates achieve a consensus among voters, giving them a mandate to govern and ensuring that voters see their preferred candidate elected to office. Implementing ranked choice voting would not only ensure consensus winners for every race, but it would encourage more candidates to enter, encourage voters to vote their conscience, and produce better, more accountable results for the residents of Ventura. Implementing proportional ranked choice voting would take all of those benefits a step further, moving to fewer districts with multiple members per district or eliminating districts entirely. The city of Ventura could lead the way in providing its residents the most accurate, just, an equitable representation of any election system in use today. Ranked choice voting and especially proportional ranked choice voting produces better results for women and minority candidates, increases participation and discourages negative campaigning, all while ensuring consensus winners. Please add a study of ranked choice voting and proportional ranked choice voting to the next charter review workshop so the city council may consider these important and beneficial changes for the 2024 charter amendments. Thank you for your time and best wishes to the council and its staff during the charter review process. If you have any questions about ranked choice voting or proportional RCV, please reach out to me and I will gladly help in any way needed. I can be reached by emailing me, paul at calrcv.org. Thank you. 
Our next speaker is Leo Frank. Leo, you should be able to unmute yourself. Can you hear me? We can. I was just calling because I'm appreciative of the fact that you guys are doing a city council charter amendment. And I just want to say, nigger, nigger, white power. Okay, Mr. Mayor, that concludes public comment. I apologize to the public for <clears throat> some of the comments that are being made tonight. We're doing our best to manage them. Uh, I'm sorry, that's, that's a tough transition, but go to the presentation, I believe. Is that Mr. Hagelin? Okay, so we're in category one, cleanup amendments. So um, as you can see, there's nothing in, in, the, in the space for current. It, this is just the amendment. Um, recommended by both the past Charter Review Committee and our publisher to make an overall non-substantive update to um, make the charter gender, gender, with gender neutral language. Sorry, if there's any questions, if not. Yes, so Council, the way we're gonna do this is, if you have questions, please ask the question. If not, we're gonna try and get a quick thumbs up, thumb down, okay. Uh, questions? I did have a quick question in regards to the gender neutral um, language. I and I was looking for it on this uh, hard document, but um, in our report, I guess it's page six of twenty-four, uh, where it's it references he she shall have the power to administer, and we're talking about the mayor here. Um, I'm just curious because previous to that, the gender neutral term was they. Um, so will that run through the entire uh, document and replace he, she, with it's they? For, it's, for, it's an update to the entire chart. To the entire chart. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Other questions? Ms. Dalehoy, I think you go ahead and thumbs up for, we're good. Next item, please. Okay, this is um, related to modernizing language. Um, and this is again also proposed um, by our publisher. And it's to eliminate references to outdated methods of, of, for example, here it says, shall be reproduced in copies. And you can see that for the proposed language as, as an example of how it would look, that language is eliminated. Instead of shall be reproduced in copies made, it shall be made available. Uh, that would be that would be for the entire charter as well. Okay. Questions? Yes, Mr. McReynolds. Uh, so I have a question similar to 1209 is 1207, which talks about printing in newspapers. I mean, are, are we? We still have. To. How long are we? I don't have 1207 in front of me. Hold on. I'm just curious how long we're going to be referenced. My my question is more because it references specifically newspapers. Is that in five years, is that potentially going to be our language is out of date again? I mean, is there a way that we could clean up all of? Again, I'm not saying newspapers is wrong. I just it, it seems like they might not be here for that long. Yeah, I'd have to see if 1207, for example, if it reference, references um, you know something in in state law. I don't know if it does. Typically, state law does require certain documents to be published in the newspaper. We can explore. 
uh, whether there's a more generic way of doing it so that we comply with state law in the meantime, and then if that changes and we're already in compliance, we can explore that. Yeah, I just don't want to set up a council 10 years from now to have to do the same update. Thank you. Any further questions? Uh, vote, please. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Ms. Campos, a little bit higher, so okay. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, continue. Okay, this is just a minor uh, recommendation by our publisher is to make it grammatically correct. Any questions? Thumbs? Thank you. Next, please. Um, same as the previous one, exists to exist. Questions? Thumbs? Okay, next please. Okay, this next one is to, um, because we are already doing district elections, it's just um, making it correct for today. Questions? Thumbs? Next please. Um, this is just to clarify, um, it's to use the correct term instead of official adjudicated. Questions? Thumbs? Next, please. Okay, now, now we're in category two, which is a, a municipal state law alignment. Again, this is not mandated by state law. This is more recommendations by either the Charter Review Committee or our publisher um, for them to align, if desired, to, do, to go that route. So for 503, um, it is in alignment with our newly um, updated municipal code language. Questions? Yes. Sorry, for just clarification, so the prior language gave a specific timeline for the person to have lived in the district and the new proposed language doesn't have that proposed timeline? That's correct, because that's what's in the municipal code. Perfect, mm -hmm. thank you. Any other questions? Thumbs? Next, please. Okay, this was recommended by um, the codifier, and um, they're recommending that we align the date of the week um, following an election with what's in the elections code. Again, not mandated, recommended. Questions? Question. I actually don't understand the language. Like, what is it trying to do? Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Mayor, Councilmember Reynolds. I can take this question. It's just aligning to when they certify the elections for the results. So Monday, for example, would cause a problem for a council meeting. It's aligning when the county canvasses the results and releases the results. And so it's just changing the date to allow more flexibility. For example, we're okay uh, in our council meetings during this last election cycle when the election results were certified. It was past the date of a council meeting for many. Folks, this is just aligning and changing to say the first Thursday after an election. So it's just aligning and changing to several changes that have taken place with elections over the past few years. Doesn't the county certify the election like a month after the election? They have up to 30 days. And so the day of the week matters. But it, it can be up to the day of the uh, 30 days. So this is just saying instead of on the first Monday, this is saying no later than the Thursday after. 
So it's just aligning to the change in election results that have been released. So they, they used to be with uh, vote by mail ballot and additional changes to state laws that relates to elections. The canvassing results have been coming out longer and on different dates than what we originally used to see. And so this is just aligning with flexibility to change. Instead of it saying on a Monday, it's aligning it to a Thursday. And this is a recommendation of our, our uh, codifier in alignment with the updates to our new municipal code as well. So why wouldn't it be 30 days after within, as this, opposed this to? Isn't, this isn't to certify. This is just saying that the, the council, for example, no later than the Thursday after an election at the usual hour and place of canvassing, the council shall meet to canvass the results. So for example, uh, previously on the first Monday after an election, it, it, it's just aligning the different date of the week in alignment with when council meetings generally are, and it's just changing it from a Monday to a Thursday. It's more or less a clerical change that allows for more flexibility. But what is it doing? It's just what saying. Is, what is Canvas? Canvas is the the, 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 the results. But the canvassing is the counting and the release of the the votes. So canvassing is what we refer to when the county is counting the uh, results of the election. That's the canvassing, and then we have a certain amount of time that the city has to certify the results that come from the the county. And so this is just changing the date. It's it's a it's a non-substantive change. I just I don't understand the purpose of this at all. Because so is this a holdover for when the city used to run the election itself? Uh, it's it's. It's not. Um, it's the way that the election code used to go because the way that primaries and there's been so many changes to how cities align with elections now. And so this is just saying that instead of the requirement of meeting the first Monday after the election, this is saying no later than the Thursday after any election. So it's more or less buying four extra days. It's, a, it's really a non-substantive change that just changes the day of the week. I, I think the struggle, if I, uh, I think the struggle, Mr. City Clerk, is when we say shall meet and canvas the returns, there's no declaration there of who won. Uh, so we do. We bring back to the City Council a canvassing of the results and certify the elections. The canvassing of the results is the actual tally of the votes. So that's what they refer to as canvassing. And then City Council does certify the election results. Okay. Mr. Johnson. Um, and then Ms. Campos. And Mr. Hogan may have more to add. I was just gonna suggest, Mr. McDonald, maybe this is one that we could look at the language a little bit more and bring it back during workshop two to clarify the language and the in intent we're trying to achieve on this one. Are we good with that, Council? Go ahead, Council Johnson, Council, and then Ms. Campos. And let me explain where my confusion comes on this because it's not about the word canvas. So November, Tuesday, November 5th, 2024, an election. When I look at this, it looks to me like no later than Thursday, November 7th, council shall meet and canvas the returns. It's from the certification of the results, so not after. It has to do with the canvassing of the results. Okay, but it says no later than after any election, the Thursday after any election. I think that would be the confusion then. We'll, we'll look further into it. Thank you. It, it's, it's the grammatical problem that I think has caused us to stumble over it. Just that highlighted in yellow. No later than the Thursday with no modifier, no clarity. So right. I, I think we can go thumbs up, thumbs, or we can say bring it back to us and change the language. Mm -hmm. Are we bring saying it bring it back? Okay, yeah. bring it back. Yeah. Next one, please. 
Okay, the next one under um, municipal and state law alignment is to change the term of mayor pro tem to deputy mayor, and that's because that's what the government code rec uses and that's what the codifier recommended. Questions, Councilmember Johnson? I just wanna say this is a huge thumbs down for me. The, the pro tem language is a mistake. In Latin, it means for the time, for the time being. Yeah. When you have a mayor pro tem, that should be when you don't have somebody acting as mayor. And, and I appreciate this as a charter city, we don't need to go with this language because it's crazy to me that to have a mayor and a mayor for the time being, um, it, it makes no sense. I appreciate where it comes from. Um, when we talk about uh, the president of the Senate pro tem, you know, under the Constitution, the vice president is the president of the Senate. When he's not there, they have the president pro tem, and that is the president for the time being, because very rarely is the vice president there in the chambers running this, the Senate meetings. And so I would really hope we keep it as deputy mayor. Thank you, Mayor. Okay, other questions? I can, um, as a former altar boy that spoke Latin, I can verify that Mr. Johnson's accurate. Um, let's go thumbs up or thumbs down. Looks like okay. it's a thumbs down. Next, please. Um, 704A is, um, includes language to reflect current law, which authorizes um, teleconferencing. Question, Mr. McReynolds? So I, I think this is something that I've discussed with the, the city clerk before. Is I think one of the things that we need to start doing as a council is meeting our constituents where they are. So like, I would like to consider at a later date that we consider maybe having a meeting at Ventura City College and trying to get the folks in that, that area to come out. Does this only mean that we can only meet here in this building for any meeting we have? Cur currently, the current language says shall be held in City Hall. That was not modified. The only thing um, that was not deleted, um, it was just the provision regarding teleconferencing. Um, and, and Council Member McReynolds, if I may, uh, the, the way that we've interpreted that is our general meetings are held here at City Council uh, in City Hall, but it does not prevent us from holding meetings off-site. If you so look further down, meetings, for example, workshops. If you look further down the language too, it says the council or the council from time to time may elect to meet at other locations within the city and upon such, in such instances, shall make public notice of the change of location according to the government code. But so we I, could take action at those meetings? like. I think under that language, we can meet anywhere else in the city as long as we comply with the government code noticing. Right. But could we, is it only just a meeting to have a meeting, or can we actually do business? We, we did the city manager recruitment offsite, for example, and council took action. Yeah. I think they could take action, but we can, we can work on cleaning this language up anyway. It seems a little archaic. We could try to make it clearer. So is this the bring it back? Yeah. Okay. So thumbs up, thumbs down to bring it back and clear it up? Okay, move it on, please. Okay, 704B is also recommended by a codifier, and that's to align with um, state law. And it just makes clear that um, for special meetings, there has to be a majority. Currently, it says three members. Um, it updates the language as far as how notice has to be delivered, um, reference to the for example, web is not in our current language. 
and a little more, um, a little, an addition at the bottom to make clear um, how the notice has to be posted. Questions? Um, Mr. McReynolds, I'm sorry, go, Ms. Campos, go ahead. I, I would like to see this notice posted 48 hours before a meeting, not 24, particularly with making sure that we have the agenda out in Spanish. I would just say to that, that state law under the Brown Act requires a 24-hour notice for special meetings, so that would be requiring an additional 24 hours to call a special meeting. Does it forbid more than 24 hours? I don't think so. I think we just require to at least provide 24 hours, but that could be somewhat limiting if we have to um, agendize something within 24 hours, but to, 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 it's up to the council what they would like to do. We can look into what the requirements would be if, if we have the flexibility of making it 48 hours. I think we do, but Mr. Hogan, you have something to add? Uh, thank you, Mr. Heglin. I was just gonna suggest that instead of making that restrictive in the charter itself, um, maybe that's something the council, if they're interested, uh, could put into uh, the municipal code or the protocols so that it's not, you know, you're bound to 48 hours in the charter, um, but instead other means if that's this current council's wish to provide 48 hours notice for special meetings. Other questions? Yes, Mr. Johnson and then Mr. McReynolds and then Mr. Halter. Thank you. You know, it strikes me that this was very intentionally written to not require a majority of council. And I'm curious if this is language that you're saying, is this part of the language where the state wants us to, to go to a majority or is that? Not, not state mandated. It was a recommendation by the codifier for alignment, not mandated. Okay, I, I, I actually prefer keeping it the way it is. I, I understand it, having been um, on the three side of some 4-3 splits at a, at a council. Uh, I, I don't see ever having to use it, but um, you, know, you, can have, you can have three council members unable to really uh, get something out to the public. And, and so that, I'm not, I'm not totally opposed to it, I just, I wasn't sure why we were making it a majority when very clearly they very intentionally made it fewer than a, a quorum. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, Mr. McReynolds, followed by Mr. Halter. So I have a question for the attorney. Is there a such thing as an emergency meeting that you the, could meet in less than 24 hours? There is. And does that have to be in the charter or? No, it's under the Brown Act. But there has to be certain, you have to have certain circumstances circumstances to justify Like a natural that. disaster. Right, we could, or something life so saving health. So we don't need something in regards to an That's emergency correct. meeting. That's correct. We don't need the 24 hour, the special meeting I, um, identified here either. It's under the Brown Act. Okay, and then what would be a, an example of a special meeting? Uh, what that we would um, it. it I think the it's more restrictive than a general meeting. So it's um, comment, public comment, for example, there's no public communications. It's just limited to the item on the agenda where the public can speak. Um, so it's, there's some limitations to that, but generally you can, you can conduct um, most business through a special meeting. Could you give me an example of why we would 
declare a special meeting. This, this meeting is a special meeting, uh, as an example. This meeting tonight is a special meeting. I get that, but we did all the noticing and everything like that. But why would we, why would we meet in 24 hours? Why? There, there have been times over the past year where we've called a special meeting, for example, to do a performance evaluation because something came up, say, uh, with a, a city manager, for example, and there was a need to call a special meeting. There have been uh, other needs to call special meetings over the past year as well. Uh, some of our subcommittees call special meetings. You might find out information um, at a time after uh, an original agenda has been posted or in between meetings where you need to call a special meeting, as an example. Uh, oftentimes we do have the time to post within 24 hours, but I think the, uh, the conversation is around having that flexibility to be able to do so. so I don't think that the intent uh, is to publish an agenda within 24 hours, but the Brown Act does allow that flexibility because of circumstances that may arise outside of uh, a normal window for posting for a regular meeting. Thank you for that answer. Councilmember Halter. I just want to clarify. Um, I think there's, I, I can see a reason for three members. And so I'm wondering, wouldn't a majority, if a more majority of the council by written notice um, said they wanted a special meeting, wouldn't that itself be a violation of Brown Act if it wasn't agendized and discussed in open forum? Not for scheduling. Um, thank you for the question, Councilmember Halter. Uh, the council is allowed to discuss um, scheduling of a meeting um, as a majority, as long as you don't get into a substantive uh, discussion of the items. So you can, um, there, there can be a quorum or a majority that discuss discusses whether or not to hold a meeting. Okay. Thank you. Councilmember Johnson. Thank you. Can I just add, ask that in the notes we include um, something about coming back for, for uh, ordinance or administrative policy and protocol? I, as, a, as a member of the public, I have had real trouble at some, at, at, from time to time with uh, some subcommittees and commissions calling special meetings at very short notice, really for no reason other than, um, well, this was when people could meet. And, and certainly when there's a valid reason for doing it, then, then that's great. But I would just ask that, that we put a pin in coming back to trying to make sure that we don't have a measure of this. The first time I met Alex McIntyre, I was sitting in the third seat from the, from the right in the front there. And, and I, it was the first time I met him, I'm like, why is the Mejuro meeting, meeting with 24 hours notice? And he didn't have a good answer. And somebody who had a kid and had to arrange childcare, it was really difficult. So I, I would just hope we could put a pin in that. Thank you, Mayor. So, so am, am I getting a feeling as the mayor that this is a Send it back. come back? Chop two. All right, let's just take a vote then. So thumb up, thumb down, or come uh, back. Mr. Mayor, if I can add, add as well real quick, apologies for interrupting. There is a provision in the city council protocols, which is gonna be discussed November 1st at the ARC meeting. There is a provision currently about special meetings and 48 hour noticing for our city council subcommittees, for example. So I did just wanna remind council that that meeting is taking place on November 1st, and should that wanna be uh, discussed then, it, it could be. So just wanted to offer that. Thank you for that. Okay, so we'll go thumbs up, thumbs down, or bring it back. Uh, is this back? Yep, bring it okay. back. Okay. Looks like, bring it back. Okay. Okay. 
Okay, 704C is again um, changing language to align with um, the government code instead of general subject matter, item items to be discussed. Questions? Councilmember Halter? It just seems that um, the original language is, uh, is about uh, just giving some generalities about what the subject matter is, where the new language is actually stating what the item or items are to discuss, which seems more specific to me, and how does that align with our legal requirements and keeping the city out of harm's way? I think this just provides a little more clarity. So the general subject matter for consideration, uh, the proposed language, I think, um, is more specific to the agenda. So the agenda would list specifically what the item or items are to be discussed. So it's just another way of stating the same thing um, in, in maybe more direct terms to how it's practically agendized rather than being generic. But it wouldn't put the city um, in jeopardy of um, uh, sharing too much information before we actually have a chance to discuss how that imp imp impacts the city in closed session? Or is it the same amount of information that's allowed under general subject matter to be considered? It's intended to be the, the, the same, not to expand the city's liability, but it may be one for bringing back uh, to reference the Brown Act requirements or something so that we're not, we're not getting um, mixed up trying to come up with language that specifically deals with that. That'd be great. Other questions? All right, so let's vote. Uh, up, down, or back? Vote, please. Vote to, I'm sorry. It, it, am I only seeing one bring back? Yeah. Be that way. Wait, are we on? Can I just be clear? Um, so when you say, like, for example, I just said we could bring it back in reference to Brown Act. So is a vote yes, meaning bring it back with a change? I mean, you're okay with us making some changes, or would you prefer that the language stay as it's worded here? I would just say I'm very familiar with the Brown Act's requirements on noticing closed session items, and this is what the Brown Act says. So I'm okay with it as it is. So let's take the vote again. So those, okay, looks like we have six okays and one bring it back. Six I, okays to add. To six okays, the new language is good. Okay. 705C, please. Okay. So the, um, the codifier recommended aligning um, the filling of vacancies with what the government code provides. Um, the Charter Review Committee had a specific recommendation um, for filling of vacancies for the mayor and deputy mayor because um, that is not specifically addressed in the charter. Um, and then during um, the polling that we did, um, when the list was initially prepared, a recommendation was made as to, um, you know, how how the current um, section can be modified and updated. Any questions, comments, Councilmember Johnson? Thank you, Mayor. You know, you may recall. Once upon a time, uh, we went through a process of this, and there were a lot of members of the public who felt very strongly that um, there, there should be an election when there is a vacancy. Um, and we're not just talking about when there's a mayor. Um, 
But, you know, I think one of the questions that we should consider, especially now that we are at districts and we have staggered elections, if, as, as we did, if you have somebody who is elected to a district seat and it's a four-year term and they resign from council a few months later, are we appointing somebody to fill up the entire remainder of their term? Are we appointing somebody to fill out, you know, no more than two years? Are we appointing somebody to fill out until a regular appointment? I, I really think we should have all that language worked out on this. Okay. Did you have comments? Yeah. No. I, I agree with Councilmember Johnson. There needs clarity on it. Sorry. I agree with Councilmember Johnson that that aspect needs to be clarified. Are, are we just appointing someone until we complete an election process? Or for a partial term or a full term? Okay. Councilmember Johnson. Thank you. I would just add, you know, this all changed because of district elections. You know, I, I would have felt very differently about this if we were voting at large. But... Um, yeah, I, I think we really owe it to the members of the districts to do as best we can to uh, give them a voice. Thank you, Mayor. Deputy Mayor. So, Doctor. <laughs> Are there other questions? Maybe bring back as one of uh, Okay. Um, I, I do have a comment on that. So is it possible that in, in, in here that you could, and I, and I overheard a little bit of what Councilmember Johnson was talking about, that you could do an appointment and then do a re-election at the next time there's an election, even if it's not your district, right? So we're having a, an election, what, every two years now, right? So we could make an appointment until the next election, not, not, not necessarily the next election for that district, as soon as possible. Is that... Is that possible under the state law to do it that way? Yes. Do we know? We can look into it for workshop too. Um, one of my wife's best friends is a, a judge here locally and when the, she got appointed, you have to stand for election the very next um, election. Uh, yeah. So I know in the judiciary, yeah. mm -hmm. they're required to stand immediately uh, for election. Mm -hmm. okay. So it seems possible. Yeah. Mr. Mayor, Cons if, if, go ahead, Mr. Hogan. Um, Councilmember McReynolds, I think the slight difference there is in the circumstance you described, uh, the person may be appointed, but then uh, they would fill out their entire term and then stand for election. Are you saying at the next countywide election, we would just hold a, a special election for that seat? Or what the mayor was saying, so if the vacancy occurred in 25 in let's say district 7 as he walks out uh, that in 26 we would hold it even though it wasn't scheduled to occur until 28 mm -hmm. okay okay thank you councilmember johnson has something to say no mike if i could just add something to make it even more complex why we need to get this correct is because we really want to have no more than four council members elected in any one election and we want to make sure as we're doing this process that we don't suddenly put ourselves in a position where we suddenly have five council members mm -hmm. 
five council districts all having an election at the same time. So it's very complicated language, but um, I'm glad we're looking at it. Thank you, Deputy Mayor. Thank you. Mr. Mayor, could I, I add a quick comment to that? Uh, thank you. So uh, Councilmember Johnson is correct. I've seen jurisdictions handle it in many different ways. One thing I would caution is, is similar to what Councilmember Johnson said. Right now, it's split between four and three. So you have four on an election cycle, you have three on an election cycle. If you were to do the special election, you'd have five. And so I think the current way that it's written is you get appointed under the government code, you complete the remainder of that term. So whatever the term is for that seat, the term stays with the the seat. So as it's written today, the the individual who gets appointed would complete the remainder of the term uh, based off of the elections code. Now, of course, we're a charter city and the city could consider a different process, but as, as it's written today, that individual who gets appointed sits for the remainder of that term, which then does not count towards term limits as well, and then uh, they would be reelected for a full, a full term after that. So they're completing the previous person's term, essentially. Okay, so additional questions, so thumbs up, thumbs back, or bring it back. <coughs> Vote, bring it back, thank you. So bring it back with just some additional ideas? Yes. Okay. And maybe a little bit of pro and con attached to that, Councilmember Johnson. And if I could just ask when it comes back, if, if what we could see would be something like a, a graphical representation, like a timeline? rather than words, um, because I know I wrote some words to Andy that got put in the staff report and for the life of me, I don't know what I, what I was trying to say. <laughs> but, you know, if we could have a timeline that might show, you know, theoretically where things might fall. Thank you. Okay. Number 706. Um, so current ordinance doesn't specify um, what type of vote, so we have traditionally looked at state law to fill that void, and the proposed amendment would um, make it clear that it's a four-fifths vote. Questions? Vote? Oh, questions? So that what, what is a four-fifths vote? What is the, so it's six out of seven? Yes. That's Okay, yes. Councilmember Halter. Your mic's not on. Your mic. We could leave it four-fifths, or we could make it six-sevenths. Uh, what is this? Is the state clear on this issue? Well, if it's there was somebody absent. Yeah, it's four-fifths, but it's of the quorum. So if we have a quorum that's less than seven, it would be four-fifths of the quorum. Okay. And the quorum I would be four. Okay. Yeah. I, I think we're ready to go. All right, vote. Okay, we're good. Next one, please. Thank you. Okay. Here, 707 here. Um, as, the, as you can see from um, in the notes, um, we've been given the opinion that the sentence that is proposed to be deleted at the bottom may be interpreted to prohibit individual employment contracts with the city manager and the city attorney. So um, it was recommended that we delete this um, sentence. Questions? Vote? Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs, okay, thank you, next. Okay. 1213. Um, 
would align the term that we are using currently in the municipal code. Questions? Vote? Next, please. Okay, now we're in category three, which is compensation. That'll cover um, medical insurance and also compensation. So first, um, for medical insurance, um, currently the situation is that council, may, council members may sign up for medical dental vision insurance plan and the 457B plans, um, but there is no contribution toward um, any of these benefits and they would have to pay the full cost. I can imagine this is something that you would want um, to return, but if you can give me um, guidance as to specifically what you would want us to come back with, that would be helpful. Questions or comments? Councilmember Johnson. Thank you, Mayor. You know, I think that council members should get the uh, same sort of benefits that the rest of the city staff get. Um, I don't know how to decide which classification of staff it, it would be. I, I, I think it would be great if we got the same health benefits as our firefighters, for example. That way we'd always want to make sure our firefighters had great coverage. I, I, will, I will point something out, which is this is going to be the first time that I am not going to be penalized for serving on city council. And, and here's, here's what changed. For the last three years, my wife and I have qualified for a, a subsidy under the Affordable Care Act. But because I'm employed by the city and the city offers a cheap plan, even though that plan costs more than my $600 a month, we don't get the subsidy. And that's, and, and, and I, I greatly appreciate our human resources and our city attorney's office for looking into this because it cost me $600 a month in subsidy and then, you know, because we're paying for our health care out of pocket, we don't get to deduct it from our taxes. And so what I pay to the city for my health care benefit, then because I can't deduct it, that's another $200. So for the three years that I've been here, it's cost me $800 a month versus the $600 a month. I, I will note as well that um, when Sofia Rubalcava was mayor, the reason she was uh, unable to drop down to 20 hours a week when she became mayor, that was her original plan, was because she was informed by her employer that if she dropped down to 20 hours, she would not be eligible for healthcare benefits. So I would like to see this come back. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, Deputy Mayor. Right, and I, I would too like to see it come back. Um, I, I think this is uh, an issue that I would be interested in seeing if there is a way to make it um, a, uh, an attraction for others to run for office, um, being that, uh, as Councilmember Johnson's example, it has cost him more to be on council than, than to have this as a benefit. So I'd like to see, um, see this come back with more information. Councilmember McReynolds. So I actually think this is part of a larger issue in terms of kind of tying into what the deputy mayor was just saying in terms of how do we, I think there's, there's the benefits, there's the compensation, and there's just some of our general practices. 
you know, in terms of our meeting times, um, our decision that we, the, the council takes August off. My kids go back to school on August 10th. So it, it, I have no opportunity <laughs> to, to go on vacation. I imagine, and you know, I, I know council member Duran's uh, daughter also goes back to school in August. Like, so I think there's some larger things that we need to look at and how do we make this a more family friendly opportunity, not just for council, like that, that mm -hmm. August vacation, most of our staff, I'm assuming, lives in Ventura, and you know they're not able to go on vacation during that time. Which I think the intent of that that recess is so that people can get the vacations; they're not missing, you know, council time on it. So I think this is one component. This benefit is one of those components that we need to look at as how to make it more friendly for more people to run and give them that opportunity. Um, I'm of a similar vein that I, I really think this is about a compensation philosophy. And there are times, this isn't the case now, but there have been times in the past when you looked at the city council and almost everybody was retired. Yeah. And I'll make this comment because I'm retired. I'm not sure that having all seven people on city council or six out of seven be retired is the best political model for us to make decisions. So I, I think our compensation philosophy should be such that we can attract people. Um, uh, there's a lot of people working in the gig economy, um, and, and I think we can do that here and in the compensation area as well. So but that's, that's where I'm coming from. So uh, are we done? Uh, so yes, no, or bring it back with um, I, I would like it to come back as a, as a bigger, okay, like philosophy, like you know, in terms of like you were saying a compensation philosophy. But I think that compensation philosophy should, how do we make it, you know, more family friendly? And I would hope that that rolls into the staff, you know, at the same time, so that, you know, we're looking at some of the larger trends. Okay, what we can do um, in the context of this this uh, exercise is we can look in the charter to see what other uh, limitations there are um, to that end. Um, a lot of that may not be baked into the charter, and if it's not, we don't necessarily have to put it there unless you want to do that. Um, certainly, for example, the August recess is not in the charter. It's through resolution. Um, one of the changes tonight will, will allow us to have a, a recess. Um, a full month recess. So if, if that's what the council would like, we could look and make sure for purposes of the charter what changes might be necessary to get you guys where you want to be. Yeah, and then also uh, I talked to Ms. Keys today in HR, and so be careful, bring back to us some information about if people select medical insurance and you, you, there's a certain dollar amount that employees get and you don't use all of that, then the rest of that or a portion of that can, can go as compensation. Um, mm. just for me, I wouldn't be in favor of additional compensation for us. So if, if, you, could, if you could just kind of go through that and come back to us. Okay. So we can go vote now, yes, no, or bring it back to us with. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. So the next one is compensation itself. And um, 
the, this was again from 2016. So these number, this number of 1,200 um, was based on the calculations that the Charter Review Committee did back in 2016. Um, and they, uh, the review committee um, reached December after looking um, at other cities. It included uh, a consumer price index adjustment um, based on the LA, Anaheim, Riverside area. Um, so the language that they recommended is there. Um, what you can see on the next page as an other option, um, I mean, one option is to update what the Charter Review Committee did um, based on, you know, more current analysis. Another option is um, to basically follow what's in the new government code, which I think will become effective on January 1st, 2024. And so what the government code has done is updated salaries for city councils, um, and it includes a CPI index. Um, so if if the city council went with this option, then um, we would follow what the limits are in there. And so for a city, the population of Ventura, it would be at 1,900. An ordinance would be established. That ordinance would include a, an, a, an annual adjustment. Um, that's another option. Um, so I, I can imagine this is something you want us to return on. Um, any questions, questions, comments? At this point? Councilmember Johnson. Thank you. I, I'm curious actually about the language under the proposed, uh, what it means upon the recommendation of the city manager, that's where city is highlighted in yellow, the compensation for all five appointive officers and employees of the city, except officials and members of the boards, commissions and committees serving gratuitously. What, it, what does this mean? Well, that's what the current, um, that's what the charger currently has. Uh-huh. What does it mean? <laughs> I, I was looking at the compensation for city council members and I was looking at it, not um, the rest of the. I, I believe it's just clarifying language in the charter that the council does not set the salaries for employees or in uh, that the, um, the manager, for example, sets those salaries. So I think it's just differentiating between uh, elected officials and appointed officials. Mr. Hagelin, what do you think? I'm sorry, what was the question? <laughs> Is that a trick? No. What, are the, what are the five appointive officers? The five appointed officers? Appointive. <laughs> Councilmember Johnson, I think this may be an area where we look at it a little bit further and see if some uh, um, modernizing language is necessary in this provision. Thank you. And if I could just finish off, I, you know, I, I appreciate this greatly. I will note that, you know, when council in 1986 and raised the council salary from 500 to $600, it hasn't changed since then. If you just adjusted it for inflation, it would be about $1,800 right now. So I really appreciate all the hard work that went into this proposed language. I think it's beautiful. Thank you. Yes, Mr. McReynolds. I, I have another one of those, because I had the same question written down about who are the five appointed officers. Uh, but I also have, uh, and I, I apologize, but the word emolument, I remember that was a huge discussion, I think, that went to the Supreme Court in terms of, so why do we have it in there and what is it? 
Uh, thank you, Councilmember uh, McReynolds. That actually came up when we were preparing for this. Uh, um, it's, it's any type of uh, benefit uh, conferred is the, the legal definition. Um, but again, we can, if, if you would like us to, we can review that language um, and consider. If it's the right word, it's the right word. But I, I guess my question is, can we make sure it's the right word? Yes, we can double check that. And, and just as a note, as uh, Ms. De La Hoya went through the charter, she really focused on the areas where, um, you know, it fell into these four categories. Either the previous committee um, had uh, made a suggestion or during the review earlier this year, someone made a suggestion. Um, but as we uh, go to the actual final language, we may be able to identify some other areas for cleanup. Um, but those just wanted to, uh, we didn't look through every every part, so you may, if you identify any other areas you'd like clean up, uh, please let us know. I would never even heard of that word until three years ago, so. Is there a general, oh, I'm sorry. Councilmember uh, Campos? I, I just, I think that um, the whole paragraph may be confusing there, but it does say that the salaries will be determined by it shall be fixed or determined by the council. So I think all of that's just describing who it is. And perhaps, you know, the five it's referring to is the, the department heads, the police chief, the fire chief, the head of public works, the head of community development, and I don't know who the other one is, but the city clerk perhaps. I mean, the, the city manager has a core group of leadership, but still, the compensation shall, with the salary or compensation fixed for such office by the council. So it, I, I think it's just confusing language. Yeah, and, and I would point out that make sure when you go through this and, and bring it back to us, um, that the word officer, that that should indicate that it's uh, an elected officer or an, an officer within the city, somebody that works for the city. Make sure that that's real clear. Councilmember McReynolds. Yeah, and I, would, in regards to the government code section, um, can we look at it? So there's there's going to be five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, there's gonna be lean years where we're not giving our employees compensation raises or something like that. I don't want a government code that says, oh, by the way, council, you're getting a raise because CPI went up 5%, but nobody else is getting it. You know, so I wanna be able to have that you know, parachute clause where you know, we can forgo that, if that makes sense. That, so I don't wanna have future councils getting a raise and they can't give the employees are raised for whatever reason, if that makes sense. And we can just, um, if you, I missed the part, if you guys were talking about going with the government code section, but if you are, we can provide a caveat that says, unless otherwise um, determined by a Porfiz vote of the council or something like that, so that there is an escape clause if you guys need it. Is Councilmember Johnson and then Councilmember Durant. And just and if we could also just get clarification on that whole thing about the, um, yeah, that that whole last long long sentence about you know dues duties paid to the city treasury. I don't think any of us have any idea what that means. 
And I apologize if I open this up to a legal nightmare because it turns out that we actually have been like grossly violating and we maybe have some city manager come back and say we were supposed to pay him twice or something. <laughs> because I don't know what this means. Thank you, Mayor. Council Member Durant. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, Mr. City Attorney, how would that work uh, when you're saying the way you're proposing the wording? Because it's, does this mean like every year we're going to have to decide if we're going to if we're going to increase or not? Because we, because of the union negotiations, we already know what increases are coming to all the staff. So we might know that a year out, two years out, or whatever the cases are. You know, we know what's coming. So, so would we have to vote on that every time? No, I think we would we would draft it so that. Uh, 36516 would apply unless a supermajority of the council decided that it wouldn't apply for that year or whatever. We would provide an out, uh, but it would automatically apply unless you exercise that out. Okay, thank you. Thank you. I, I, if I could just ask that we make sure that it be uh, something like no greater than allowed under section 36516. Um, <laughs> so that we're not giving council the power to give themselves a 40% raise. Thank you. Doug? Yeah. Councilmember Halter, excuse me. Yeah, uh, no, that's fine. Is um, uh, Councilman Johnson just hit it, and I thought uh, as long as it says no greater than whatever we put in there so that it's not like we're making decisions with our unions based upon what perhaps may be modeled after what our raises would be on council. You know what I mean? Not that that would happen, but I don't want that perception. Okay. May I mention something? Um, Government Code 36516 that lists the, the salary depending on, on city size and the increases, it does say that you know an ordinance has to be enacted. So details about, you know, that would be in, in the ordinance. So this is up, down, or bring it back? Coming back? And just to be clear, um, as far as the reference to government code itself, is that a thumbs up, but fixing up all of the language with the guidance, that's bringing it back. Yes. Is that correct? Okay. That's a great question. Thank you for that follow-up. Next. Okay, now we're under the category of other amendments, and um, this is just making clear that appointments to committees, boards, and the commissions will be city residents. Questions, Mr. McReynolds and Mr. Johnson? I believe we have some categories of some of our committee members that they might own a business downtown, but it doesn't require that they reside in the city. So are we forgoing all of those special Uh, Councilmember McReynolds, we do have two uh, that I read off the top of my head. The Water Commission, for example, and the Downtown Parking Advisory uh, Committee that have requirements that you're not a city resident. So we do currently have uh, several that, that do not require residency. I'm not sure I would be in favor of expanding it beyond that. Expand it, I just, yeah. but would we forgo 
some of it because I think what we're looking for is some very technical experience on, on that specific board to provide and we don't want to forgo somebody because we don't they don't reside in the city but we want somebody with in-depth water commission knowledge uh, a question I have on this on the proposed language um, the, the last four words as it deems necessary does that give us the ability to appoint somebody who is a water engineer but doesn't live in the city to the water commission I think uh, I think what it does allow is if the council by ordinance wants to establish um, certain membership rules for certain committees, such as the two that uh, Mr. McDonald mentioned, um, it can do that, and they wouldn't necessarily have to be. Um, yeah. So if you've left the language uh, as it currently stands, the council I think would have the flexibility to uh, amend it through an ordinance to to allow whatever they want, other than city. Residents. Additional questions? Councilmember Campos? I, I think that could easily be resolved also by saying, except where professional, where there's a requirement for professional representation. Because that's, that's what it is on the boards that have some who are not residents. Um, if I may, Councilmember Compost, if that's the preference of council to still have that flexibility, I think we would just recommend not making this change and leaving leaving the language as is. Um, and Councilmember McReynolds, uh, this is one of those examples where um, the city attorney's office isn't um, recommending this um, for the the reasons you stated, but this was one of the suggestions. Um, we don't recall what, where it came from, whether it was the charter committee or during the review earlier this year. Um, but just wanted to clarify, uh, we're, we're aware of uh, the current water commissioners and other positions and weren't necessarily advocating for and that. I think we should have a preference if we had a water commission expert that we wanted that lived in the city versus one that lived outside of, I think we should go with the, the resident, but sometimes we don't have that option. Councilmember Halter. But for that very reason, is that not exactly why an ordinance would be appropriate? Is to have an ordinance listing the this committees as they stand at that point in time and listing whether, because I, I definitely favor uh, where possible to have a resident of our city serve on those committees. But I think an ordinance, you could clearly spell out, um, these are the committees that are standing. This is a new one that's been added. This is one that's been subtracted. These ones must have residences. These ones can have um, uh, people from outside our community that have technical expertise in whatever we need. It, it, go ahead. I'm sorry. Councilmember Durant. Well, I'm just, <clears throat> to your point, if we don't change anything, we can roll how we're, how we're rolling now, how it works now. So we can talk about what we could do, but, or we could just leave it how it is and and we're still good to go. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Mr. Mayor, if I could provide a clarifying point real quick. This is a recommendation from our codifier to align with our municipal code. Our municipal code does require, in most instances, aside from those professional categories, that uh, a commission member be a resident of the city. So this was in alignment with the municipal code as the municipal code does currently establish a residency requirement aside from those professional categories. I just wanted to provide that clarity. And one thing you could say if you wanted in kind of a hybrid is, appoint city residents to such standing other committees unless the city council by ordinance determines otherwise. In that case, you, it would the general rule would be city residents, 
but the council by ordinance could say we want technical experts in these different committees. Councilmember Johnson and Deputy Mayor. Thank you. As I recall, we have some that are uh, set up by ordinance. Do we have some that are set up by resolution? Either way, well, we already have language for all of these committees that we're using. And so we can't appoint a non-resident to a planning commission, for example. Uh, it's, it just depends on the board, and I think keeping it the way it is makes the most sense. Thank you. Yeah, I was going to say that because we already have that for our other um, boards and commissions, so I would say keep it as is. Okay. Anything else? Yeah, I, if, I, if I may, Mr. Mayor. Mr. McDonald, so are you saying we, you're recommending that we change this because? So this recommendation came from our municipal code codifier. So when we went through the recodification of our municipal code a few months ago, they also reviewed our charter and they made recommendations for our charter based off of our municipal code. So there's a provision in our municipal code that says in most instances you have to be a resident of the city in order to serve on a commission. So the codifier made that recommendation to include it in the uh, in the charter as well, as all of our committees do require city residency, except for those two professional designation categories. So if we left it the same, we're still okay doing that? Yeah. And so, yes, Mr. McReynolds? I, I, I actually like the city attorney's recommendation because I think it cleans up the, the, so the municipal code and the charter would say the same thing, would that? Yeah, what it does is it, it puts into the city constitution, so to speak, that you have to be a city resident unless the city council determines by ordinance. Otherwise, if you leave it the way it is, then a city council by ordinance could say we can staff the planning commission with non-city residents. So, so that's that's I think what the difference is or how that would play out. Councilmember Johnson. Thank you, Mr. City Attorney. Is the downtown parking advisory was that set up by ordinance or by resolution? We can confirm and we can we can revise the language so it picks up what we have right now. I can't tell you for sure, but. So if I, a thumbs up would vote for the proposed, a thumb down says keep the current, and a thumbs this way would probably give us some city attorney language or something like that. Actually, yeah. the language is there now if you want to look at it under alternate language. Excuse me. Um, okay, so uh, is City Council okay that a thumbs up is the proposed new language over here? A thumbs down would keep the current language. Are we clear on that vote? So thumbs up is for the language added in notes. That's correct. Thank you. Okay, let's vote. I'm sorry, up, up, so it carries 5-2. Next, please. Okay, um, the next one deals with um, the um, selection, election of mayor and deputy mayor. And from, as you can see in the notes from the polling, um, it was this, this proposed amendment is so that the mayor and deputy mayor elected by voters on a citywide basis. Comments, Mr. Duran? Yeah, thank you, Mr. Mayor. I, I would just like more information on this in regards to um, what, what does that actually look like in regards to 
districts? Uh, do we realign districts? Is the, is the mayor going to be voted on and not have a district so we go to six? Or are we talking about deputy mayor and mayor being voted on so we go to five districts? Or do we go to nine districts? You know, that, I, I think we just need some more clarification on that. I mean, I'm not saying it's a, it's a bad idea at all. There was a lot of people that really, apparently really wanted that. So it'd be great to dig a little deeper into that. Okay, Councilmember Johnson. And then Councilmember Campos. Thank you, Mayor. And I, I agree completely with Councilmember Duran. I, this, this particular issue was the one that I really wanted to have a, a citizen committee work on this issue. Um, because I, I think even with three workshops, it's unlikely we could come to something, unfortunately. This is one where, um, you know, however I feel about it, you know, if, if the residents felt very strongly about it, I would, I would defer to the residents. Um, what I would suggest, if we were to talk about it, would be to have a mayor that is not representing a district. Now, when we talk about an elected mayor, everybody assumes a strong mayor system, and that doesn't have to be the case. And this goes back to something Mr. Noren was talking about. There could be a mayor who is elected by the city who uh, helps set the agenda, runs the meetings, handles the ceremonial things, and maybe they vote only in the case of a tie. Um, there are, as you mentioned, Councilmember Durant, that the possibility, and I shared this with Eric Nazarenko, who has long been a proponent of an elected mayor. I, I told him at the time, when they went to districts, there would never be an elected mayor, because you're never going to get a council that is going to just redraw all the boundaries and change the number of districts. And, and I think we'd need to just assume we would not do that. Um, I would be willing to look at something like a, a, a not-so-strong mayor. And you know, we could talk about you know, what the term would be. I don't know about a, a deputy mayor in that situation. This is a very complicated thing, and, and this is you know, why I appreciate that we're having some workshop time to it. But there's probably 100 different ways we could do this, and 98 of them would be a mistake. Okay. Thank you, Mayor. Councilmember Campos. I agree that we need a citizen commission on this issue. And it may, may be necessary to pull this aside and continue to work on it separate from the rest of the charter changes. Um, I feel strongly about it because I've heard so much from the community about this. And I don't see that it does require districts because the elected mayor would need to represent everyone, not represent a district and do the job. So I, I think one thing is clear is that um, we need options um, and analysis to come back. Um, question is, is it, or is it that you know at this point you're ready to decide that you want this to go to a charter review committee? And that wouldn't be for us to do the work right now, but for the charter review committee to look at it. Uh, I know we have two people that want to do a charter, um, excuse me, a community of you. I don't know the feelings of the other city council members. Mr. McReynolds? Yeah, I, I agree that this needs to go to a charter review committee. Like, we would need to, uh, I, I would move forward. I'd like to see a resolution come forward as part of this that they would be charged with bringing forth for the 26th election. Um, 
potentially the final resolution to this question. I mean, maybe they end up not making that recommendation, you know, so I'm not going to presuppose their recommendation, but uh, I think we have to put it, let the a charter review committee spend some time, you know, going on it. I think this is one item that we want to put in front of it. I don't know if there's going to be something else, but, you know, and, and I think there's some voting right acts stuff that probably has to get sorted out, right. you know, in that conversation. So I don't think it's, I don't think this is a three, three meeting <laughs> resolution item. Yeah, I was going to mention the Voting Right Act um, and how that would impact, be impacted by um, such a decision to go to an elected um, or change the, the way the mayor is selected. Um, so I'd be interested in, in getting more information on the Voter Right Act on how it would be impacted uh, because that's why we went to district to begin with. And so if we're going to change the dynamic of that by opting out for selecting a mayor a different way, um, then I'd be interested in to know how that would. And I think um, someone else, uh, public comment, uh, talked about the rank choice voting and proportional rank choice voting. Curious about that as well, just to see what, what that would be like. Uh, Councilmember Duran and then Councilmember Johnson, followed by Councilmember Halter. Yeah, I, I was interested in that as well. The the rank rank choice voting and and is that what we had before? Yeah. Mr. McDonald can answer this question. I think he's a, a semi expert on this. Thank you for that, uh, City Attorney Hagland, uh, Mayor Schrader, Councilmember Duran. My former jurisdiction in Alameda County utilized rank choice voting, so I, I I did go through two past elections with rank choice voting. Essentially, what it is, it's an instant runoff. So right now, if there was a tie vote, for example we would have to go to a runoff election uh, to determine who the next council member was. Ranked choice voting is an instant runoff, which allows, for example, a voter to select their top three. So say, for example, there are five people running. I'm going to select my top three, one, two, three. You can select them in any order. What happens is if nobody reached the 50% plus one threshold for the first vote, they then go to the second vote. They tally who voted for the first one. There's a very difficult calculation um, which you then arrive at your next number. If at the second round nobody has still reached a 50% plus one threshold, you then move to the third round. It could be very confusing for the public. For example, I had in a previous election somebody who came in second place win the election because more people selected that individual as their second choice than anyone selected as their first choice. So it really solves the problem of an instant runoff is essentially what ranked choice voting is. The, the piece that they talked about, the proportional voting, is uh, it's a little bit more in detail in where it's going to take the demographics of the voters, for example, and apply them to voting trends. And so the calculations can get very confusing. It, it, there are more and more jurisdictions who are, uh, who are adopting ranked choice voting. The city of Ojai, uh, for example, uh, recently directed their city to explore uh, ranked choice voting. They're the only city in the county I'm currently uh, familiar with I will acknowledge that we've had phone calls requesting information about our ranked choice voting, but that's at a high level essentially what ranked choice voting is. Thank you for that, Mr. McDonald. So we can do ranked choice voting um, in districts as well. Is that correct? 
That's right. So rank choice voting could apply to districts as well. And there's an argument that folks make about the fairness of the election because say, for example, I'm running for a district and I'm going to team up with two other people that are also running for that district. We're now running saying, put us one, two, three. Vote us one, two, three in any order. Uh, it kind of changes the dynamics of campaigning is what the argument in support of. And it also can encourage people to only vote for one person. Not, you don't have to vote for one, two, three, just so that everybody gets that. Councilmember Johnson and then Councilmember McReynolds. Thank you. I, I personally am a proponent of ranked choice voting. Um, I think it would be great if we talked about it. I'm heartened to hear people interested in it. I will point out that one of the problems we have in the city um, when we have these district elections, uh, as somebody who won with less than a majority vote, is that when you have uh, a number of candidates, you can have two candidates splitting the vote among a group of people. And, um, you know, all of a sudden then the, the calculus gets very difficult when you're a candidate. You know, there are times where, you know, if somebody was really clever about it, they could sabotage somebody by running somebody against them that has the same position just to split that vote. And, and that's just a way that somebody could game the system. Um, and so I, I would love it if we could explore ranked choice voting. Thank you. So I, I think this is a come, come back to us. Um, it looks like we're, we're moving towards a committee, a public committee. Yeah, Mr. Rick Reynolds. And so I'm all in favor of having a, a committee take a look at this as like, you know, as one of the items that we throw to them. Um, I wanted to further kind of reset the committee and it's more of a question to the city attorney. Should we set up the, the charter review committee as part of maybe the charter that every 10 years that there is a charter review committee, um, you know, and maybe that maybe there's no need, maybe, but you know, as when we do the um, almost citizens redistrict committee, you know, maybe that's something that gets talked about also, you know, here. So, so we can kind of throw this, some of these larger issues that are around, you know, to this committee, but then, you know, as our gift to future councils is every 10 years, they're going to get a <laughs> citizens redistrict committee. They want it or not. <laughs> I thought they wanted um, I, I was just going to remind us, we don't have to solve it all tonight, <laughs> um, but it certainly should come back um, and then we can move from there. Okay. Council member McReynolds, do you mean that um, this would be another proposed amendment? Yeah, that the, okay. the charter review committee would be actually a, 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 a new, part of the a new section of the yeah of the charter that okay. potentially every ten years. And I get it doesn't. I'm not saying bring that resolution back the next time, but you know let's talk about that conversation. Okay, so a thumbs up is going to indicate. Yeah, go ahead. Can I clarify? So we have like three things going on there. So the Charter Review Committee concept, just to get rid of that, would be uh, you want us to bring that back as a proposed charter amendment at the second workshop. Is that yes? Yes. Okay. And so we have two issues then. One is do you do you want this? The you want the mayor um, elected mayor to come to a Charter Review Committee for twenty six. And ranked choice voting would be a separate, another topic altogether. Yes. 
Okay. The, yeah, I think yeah. I, I think that Mr. McReynolds, uh, I think where he was going is we should know, excuse me, or the committee should take a look at what is the impact of having a, a mayor elected by the public or maybe a mayor and a deputy mayor and what impact does that have on districting, if any? Correct, yeah. Right. I was gonna say that next. Yes. If I could just add an anecdote and the importance of the California Voters Voting Rights Act on this one. You know, my objection to a strong mayor stemmed from the fact that um, the day after Sofia Rubalcava was elected mayor, people were saying, oh, we gotta change it so that council doesn't get to pick the mayor. That's a real problem. And um, for me, that was when I, I couldn't support a strong mayor. And so I appreciate the public's feelings on this one, but I, I greatly appreciate my colleagues bringing up the, the very important legal and moral implications of going to an elected mayor. Thank you, colleagues. Do you have the feedback that you need on this issue? Um, I'm not too clear, actually. Uh, as far as Councilmember Rick McReynolds um, mentioning of um, an establishing a charter review committee every 10 years, you know, we'll look into, we'll come back as to whether a, a resolution is the best method to do that or another, a new section to the charter is uh, the best avenue. So I'll look at that. And then as far as, um, the different things that you want us to look at, the Voting Rights Act, the ranked voting, um, different types of um, options, strong mayor, well, I won't say weak mayor, but not strong mayor. Um, is that something that you want us to prepare or is that something you know now you're gonna want for a charter review committee? Charter. Okay. Including ranked voting. So just a question, are we just talking about the mayor only or are we talking about the deputy mayor as well? Just from prep, my preference would be mayor only. I don't know what my six colleagues believe, well, mayor and deputy mayor. I mean, would that be, uh, take it to the Charter Review Committee, right, to discuss that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The Charter Review Committee will look at everything. Correct. Okay. Next. Okay, number 704A deals with um, allowing for a break in August. Right. Okay, questions. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think there's a general agreement. I, I, I'm getting a sense. It, it's just I want to make sure that we're allowed to take a look that should, is July the month or is August the month? And we would allow what the city council to make that decision, or how, how do you want to handle that? Or it should be put in here, Councilmember Johnson. Thank you, Mayor. I think the appropriate thing to do that is for council to have a calendar discussion before coming up with a calendar for the next year. Mm -hmm. Just leave that flexibility for future councils. And Mr. City Clerk, when do you put together the calendar for next year? So generally the calendar is adopted by council by resolution and we present the draft calendar in November generally and those dates can be adjusted uh, however the council would like. Okay, so then we should have that discussion in the next uh, three or four weeks? 
about July or August? Yeah, and what I, what I would say, Mr. Mayor, is the 2024 meeting schedule is coming to us uh, next Monday on November 6th. Quick. Yes, Mr. McReynolds? So I, I would like this conversation to be part of a, a larger family-friendly conversation, you know, in terms of do we need to start meetings at 6 o'clock? You know, could we start at 4 o'clock? You know, could there be staff sit, you know, not only would we save money, you know, a staff is already here. You know, it, could we, you know, is it more conducive to staff with families? You know, is July the appropriate month? Because it's not just our schedule. I think it's it's staff's schedule too, you know. And I, I would charge the city manager with trying to, you know, figure that out with the department heads in terms of, you know, does what makes the most sense that we're providing the most family-friendly opportunity here for. Okay, and do you want to do that by November 6th? I think that's too. <laughs> and, too and just to provide the clarity as well, Mr. Mayor, the meeting time uh, and place and everything is set by the resolution that council adopts regularly, okay. uh, annually. The meeting time, that's all in the resolution when, when council adopts the meeting schedule. Councilmember Campos? I, I want to be careful when we talk about moving a meeting time forward that some of our districts, like my community, are people who generally work two full-time jobs. So it's hard enough for them to get here at six to speak on an item. If we start at four, then we're, we may be excluding the public. So we have to be very careful how we deal with that. I, I don't disagree. It's a larger conversation. And you know, we have the WebEx and you know, that allow people to participate remotely. So I mean, I think we just got to look at it in a broader context. I'm not saying this is the solution. Just take a look at it and how do we create a, the most family-friendly environment for both the, the residents and the, uh, the staff. Councilmember Halter. Oh, I think uh, oh, I'm sorry. We also have a lot of residents in some areas of our city that don't have digital access, that don't have cell phones like I do that can can call into a meeting. So we have to consider all those things. Councilmember Halter, I just followed wanted, by Councilmember Duran. Yeah, I just want to add uh, just an opinion and just what I felt. I, I feel as somebody that's part of the trades is um, there's, um, I definitely feel that a lot of meetings in the 30 years I've been in the trades and having been in a corporate world before um, are focused on people that have desk jobs and can phone and return emails immediately and not necessarily people that are out there digging trenches and planting plants or taking care of pavement and so forth and working in the trades. And I also believe, uh, as a lot of you, we joke about it a bit, but um, whether we like to or not, a lot of people in the trades do start their day very, very early, as we saw that night that we had a lot of people here. So. Uh, adjusting times or looking, at least considering those things. We're never gonna please everybody. It's gonna be some compromise there, right? But looking at the fact that, hey, when you send an email, don't send three more um, because you, that person didn't respond within you know, 20 minutes, okay? <laughs> There's some people that are actually out there physically digging and not at a computer or at a phone. Just like um, a lot of us do start at you know, 6, 6.30 in the morning. And so when meetings go to one o'clock in the morning, it makes it very, very difficult uh, for a lot of people who have to be physically alert to be safe uh, by six in the morning. 
you know? So I think considering those things, because I think the days though, of nine to five, regardless of what kind of job you have, those days are kind of gone. I think there's a wide variety of people working many different hours. So I love what Councilmember uh, uh, McReynolds is saying, is looking at those things, and I think considering uh, our citizens and their work environment and the family, um, uh, the family life is a great idea. Councilmember Duran. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. So I, I'm just asking <clears throat> Mr. City Attorney, so is this a discussion we have to have uh, at, a, at a later date um, so we can kind of decide moving to July, moving times, because the calendar is going to get set, right? Or how, how, do we, how do we do this so we don't miss the, all of a sudden it's next year and we didn't? Yeah. One of the things that um, we, I think you directed us to do earlier in this discussion was look through the charter to see what um, limitations, if any, there are on this concept of a family-friendly meeting time. And, and so I, I don't think there will be a lot of restrictions, which means you'll have a lot of flexibility and resolutions and ordinances to set up what time you meet, that type of thing. Even if you approve the meeting schedule next week, it's a resolution, you can change it at any time, as we just did a couple of meetings ago. So I think you'll have a lot of flexibility to set things up as you want, as this gets baked a little bit more. Uh, but I think you're, we're probably going to find that there aren't a lot of changes that will be needed in the charter amendment to be able to set up what you guys are talking about. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Hogan. Uh, thank you, Mayor. So for the provision before you, it sounds like um, council is generally supportive of having this be more flexible. Um, so this language proposes uh, needing to meet 11 months a year instead of um, each month of the year. Is that sufficiently flexible for everyone? Yes. Okay, thank you. Next, please. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I was just going to suggest that in the notes they add the possibility of July instead of August. Thank you. Yes. Not to, not to throw a, a wrench into this. Um, there's no reason that we need to be adopting the calendar on like the yearly, like in November for a calendar year, right? It may be that appropriate for us to think about doing it on a fiscal year or something. I just want to make sure that the, when you say a, a month for 11 months of the year, that ties us into doing it for a calendar year, I think. And, and I just, I'm sorry, I, that just came to me. As long as we're okay doing it the way we do with the calendar year, then I think it's fine. But if there would be interest in switching to a different okay. calendar. Thank you. Uh, next item, please. Um, section number 800. Um, what it does is remove um, a sentence which goes against state law. Um, we currently don't enforce this because it's not enforceable. And. Uh, the Charter Review Committee in the notes, you can see that they recommended instead language about encouraging the city manager um, to become a, remain a city resident um, and the council can provide direction on to whether they want to simplify it or add something about encouraging. Uh, questions? Yes, Mr. Johnson. This is one of the places where I would get gender neutral language, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Okay, vote, thumbs up, would support um, removing the language saying that 
you have to live in Ventura or you're encouraged to live in Ventura, correct? Um, it either, well, I, w I would prefer a little more clarity as to your direction to just simplify it and eliminate that, or do you also eliminate and add something about encouraging? Which one? Uh, I'm an just, eliminate kind of guy. Just eliminate. Yeah. Just, okay. Just eliminate. A thumb up for eliminate. Okay. Thank you. Next section, please. Okay, section 1202 um, came from the polling, and it's clarifying that um, the, it specifies the standards that our finance department follows. Questions? This vote, thumbs up for the proposed. Okay, move on, next one. This is encouraging, Mr. Halter. <laughs> Section 1210, um, also the proposed amendment also came from polling. Um, and as you can see in the notes, it explains what the purpose is and it is to seek approval from council every two years instead of every year and change the timing of when the budget is submitted. And it also wants to um, require the CIP to include a statement about the plan, um, the CIP plan being consistent with the general plan. This came from Mr. Nelson, who is here, if you have any specific questions about the proposal. Questions? All those in favor of the proposed? Passed unanimously. Thank you. Next. Was that it? Um, no. no, 702E, actually this is two parts. There is no, um, th this is a proposed um, amendment also came from the polling, which was to make um, the city clerk a position under um, the council instead of being under the city manager. Um, if you add a section um, to um, make that uh, uh, part of the charter, then 702E would have to be, um, you know, modified as well to reflect that. Questions? Councilmember Johnson? Well, this is something that I have advocated for. Um, you know, the city clerk is a, is a powerful position, as I've said many times, it's the guardian of democracy. Um, without naming it in particular cities, you know, there are times where you know, a responsible and ethical city clerk might might be responding to um, Records Act requests, for example, and feel that it's inappropriate to share with the city manager um, for fear of, you know, what the city manager might say. And, um, you know, it would be terrible if, if there were a city where a city manager might be angry at the city clerk and starve them of resources and staff and drive them to the breaking point. I, I think it's too important an office and um, and that it, it should be the third appointment that council makes, the city manager, the city attorney, and the city clerk. Thank you, Mayor. Other comments, Mr. Duran? You do such a great job. Uh, but, but my question is, we, we spend so much time with the city manager and the city attorney, the seven of us already, 
And I don't know if that's going to be expected that our city clerks spend that much time with us, updating us, telling us what's going on, because I don't think that's something that you have time for, because you are s super busy right now. And um, so I, I don't know. I'm just I'm kind of throwing that out there. I don't know if uh, if that's an uh, another another person we need to see over and meet with and take time away from him. That's my feelings. Deputy yeah, Mayor, I I think I had the same kind of thought in terms of like is do we have enough time us as council to be able to uh, thoroughly and and, and engage the city clerk um, position as we do with city attorney and city manager. That would be my concern. Um, I have a full-time job. I was going to school before. I have a family. And just I want to make sure that if we're making such drastic change that then the council would be able to respond and be able to give support to that um, city clerk. So I'm not sure about this one yet. I, I feel the same way. We have a hard enough time managing the city attorney and the city manager, uh, respectfully. Um, I, I understand where you're coming from, Councilmember Johnson. Um, I, I'm probably not there yet. So, Councilmember McReynolds. I apologize. I don't recall seeing this in the staff report. Is this? There's. It's in a paragraph. It's, it's oh, okay. It's not one of the written. Yeah. There's ones, no maybe. current um, section that covers. Got it. it so. so that's that's mm -hmm. how you're. Okay, on it. And then, I mean, I don't have a problem throwing this to a charter review committee. I mean, but I, I don't think this is a decision that we need to, I guess my one question to the city attorney or city clerk is, would the oath of office change for this position if it was appointed by the council or the city manager? Is there a, how does that change the, the position? I'm not sure that it does. I think we all take the oath. Um, so I'm not sure that it does, but I would have to look into that a little bit more closely to get you a firm answer. And at Council Member McReynolds, I would argue that it doesn't. Uh, we take an oath as a city clerk through my International Institute of Municipal Clerks, and my argument would be uh, whoever I respond to, my oath stays the same. Councilmember Campos. Having, um, having over the last few years had a lot of dealings with a previous clerk who was very professional and um, but suffered a lot in the situation she was in. So right at this moment, we have a, an extremely competent clerk and clerk's office, well-functioning, and a competent city manager. But... I've seen how things can go wrong, and we lost a, a very competent clerk, well, actually, too, um, because of what was going on in the, in the management. Had that clerk been under counsel, I think we would have had a very different situation all the way along with that previous city manager. Um, I wasn't sitting here in this position. But I, I watched so many meetings from below. And I met with the previous city clerk before meetings, spoke with her after meetings, was in her office many times. 
And so I see a lot of value to making this decision. Councilmember Johnson. As somebody who feels strongly about this though, I think the fact that we're committing to setting up a citizen charter review committee, you know, I'm fine punting on this. They can look at it and make a recommendation or whatever. Okay, how's everybody else feel about that? Deputy Mayor? Well, this keeps growing for the committee. I'm concerned about that. Yeah, I share the same concern, I have to admit. Um, Mr. Durant? Okay. Mr. McReynolds? That's my idea and why you would have it. The committee meets every so often. So maybe, maybe this is not a 26 issue, maybe it's a 36 issue you know, uh, on it. But th that way you have that standing committee that, you know, they're gonna take up some of these meteor items. And I think the rush, I think if we had that, stand, if we knew we had that standing committee, we had a 15 items, you know, we'd say, okay, we want you to start five years out. This, this time we're giving them a really short runway. So we probably need to focus them in on a, a, a few more key tasks. But I think by having a standing, you know, every 10 year committee, we can throw some of these meteor issues that way. I, I don't know, I, th I think I would vote no for, for this one for now um, and not put it to a committee just because I know how our, our council goals list grows and then we have a hard time with you know, getting to those. So I, that's where I'm coming from. I'm, I'm, I think this could be put for further discussion, um, not necessarily tackled tonight or do something about it now. Councilmember Halter. You know, I'm interested in the pros and cons to it. Uh, I didn't experience what I've been hearing. Um, I've always, and I agree that uh, as a council member, it's, it's um, a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of knowledge that you learn quickly, and a lot of listening. And so throwing something else at it, our, my goal would be to get a wider breadth of the of our citizenry able to run for this office. And so uh, I think uh, I'd be interested in more conversation. I'm not quite sure I wanna make a decision on what direction to go tonight. Okay, so um, do we wanna vote on this? Or do we wanna just pass and deal with it at uh, another time? I'm trying to get a feel. I'm okay with passing. I, I think it's important that we have the conversation. I also do not think we should artificially limit what the Charter Review Committee should do. And I would expect that one of the things they would do would be to look at the to the 2015 Charter Review Committee as well as this council meeting to, to look at potential topics. And, you know, if it's something they wanted to take up, they could take it up. And if they chose not to take it up, they could choose not to take it up. Well, and that, that does kind of scare me. Um, uh, I'm not, I, I'm, um, I have a bias towards a task force, give them a task, they get done, and then you take those assets and you deploy them to the rest of the Navy. Um, standing committee um, that's there that I, I think they could be begging for things to do and look at and, and creating workforce, uh, that, uh, that kind of scares me. So, um, how do you want me to take a vote on this? I think we should vote no, yes or no. 
on the proposal. On the proposal. Okay, so the proposed is to uh, a city manager, excuse me, that the city clerk would report to the city council and not the city manager? Is that the proposal? Okay, so a thumbs up would support that position, a thumbs down would not. So we have three down, two up, and two bring it back. How do I go from here, Mr. City Attorney? We don't have clear direction on what you want us to do on that one. <laughs> so uh, you're we... using ranked voting. We might have an answer. Yeah. But... Can uh, are we okay if we bring this back in six months? We're fine. I, I just, if we are going to limit it, then absolutely not. I do not think that this should be kept from a charter review committee. I'm a member of the council. I could bring this as a policy consideration and force a discussion. And I feel very strongly about this. I, I would be happy to share if we want to set up a way to discuss some of this in closed session because there's some privileged information here. But we're talking about some serious issues that I personally have had to work through in the city. Thank you. Okay, so we have decided to punt on this one. Do we have another one left? I'm sorry, when you say punt, do you mean send you it to the community? Don't bring it back yeah. to us? Yes, do not bring it back to us. If we want to deal with it, we'll put it on the agenda. Okay, clear. So, so we're not bringing this back? Correct. Does that mean when during the third workshop, um, or after once we're discussing the charter review committee, it can be brought back at that point if you want to include it as a charge. Is that correct? No, we're not bringing it back at all, is my understanding. Not bringing it back until at all. Until someone not at all. chooses. Okay. And the feeling was because a city council member can bring it back for a policy consideration. So. Okay, understood. Okay, okay and um, the last... Um, amendment from the polling and from the list compiled is to repeal section 1218 and this was um, recommended um, by outside council um, and their opinion was that um, instead uh, if, if this is repealed we can instead adopt an ordinances authorizing the issuance of bonds on the ter on terms and um, provisions that the city deems best. So can, can you give us an executive summary on the differences between what we have in the left and the right? Yes, we can return um, for workshop two with that. Or Mayor, um, this, this deletion was uh, proposed by uh, the um, city's bond council. And right now when uh, we uh, take on additional debt, um, it wouldn't change the ability to do that, but right now we have to jump through a, a number of extra steps and it would basically just save um, time in those extra steps of utilizing uh, the Public Facilities Financing Authority, for example. So it wouldn't change the city's abilities. It just makes when we're doing those transactions, it, it's more efficient. Questions? Ready to vote? Okay, vote. Okay, and then just um, 
the, the only other amendment um, I have to come back with during workshop two, in addition to all the other requests for further information, is for um, establishing a Treasury Review Committee every 10 years. Is there, yes, yes, bring, come back with language for that. Is there any other um, proposed amendments that you would want us to come back um, on workshop two with? I have none, language. anybody else? Nope, I think that's good. Thank you. Thank you very much. Great work. Thank you. So we're now into public communications, Mr. City Clerk. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. We do have about nine uh, speaker cards submitted. Our first speaker this evening is going to be Bert Handy, followed by Alex Mangone, followed by Scott McCarty. May I just say at the beginning of this public comment section that under the Brown Act, speakers must limit their comments to items within the subject matter of the council. If councils are deemed not to be in the subject matter of this council and they disrupt the meeting, the speaker will, uh, will not have the opportunity to finish their um, comments. Thank you. And, and excuse me, but uh, these public comments are on uh, items not on the agenda tonight. That's correct. Okay, thank you. Mr. Handy, I'm sorry, go ahead. That's okay. Um, the Zoom meeting versus WebEx. I believe that you should look at Zoom I've had recurring problems with WebEx. I cannot use my phone because they want me to get an ID number. And just like tonight was occurred, there were problems with Zoom, with WebEx right off the top. Zoom is a much more friendly platform, and I think it should be reviewed. And I'll take a quick poll here. How many in the audience would prefer Zoom over WebEx? There you go. There's your answer. Public opinion. In regards to the phone number sent uh, with photos, I believe that we should set up something possibly on an earlier comment tonight on the issue with showing the infrastructure around the city. Set up a phone number within the city that people can send the photos to. That way you've got an area where people can send it in. It's geo-based. And mine, I put my name and the date and time of the photo. So that way you don't have to fill out any paperwork, just have a phone number they can send the information to. Also utilize the police department and the fire department. Every one of them has a computer within their system. Set it up to where they hit a key, it identifies a spot, and somebody can go out and check it out to see what's going on, and that way it's self-supporting all the way through. You have law enforcement out at all hours of the night looking for things to do. This gives them the opportunity. In regards to, I was going down to a meeting in LA at five o'clock in the morning, going down Main Street. There was so much water running in the street, I couldn't believe it, between Five Points and Mills. Also, the water is running again at Cemetery Park. I've been here before on that. It has not been cleaned up. It needs to be reevaluated. In regards to the issue with the way of the uh, problems we had with the speakers tonight, I believe they should be looking at a way to possibly put a delay on Zoom and phone-in phone calls. If that can be done, that way somebody can monitor these phone calls for maybe five seconds before. That person has the authority to cut that person out if there's anything that comes in that's inappropriate. That way we don't have to deal with it in the, in the uh, council meetings. Thank you. Alex Mangone, followed by Scott McCarty.
Good evening, everybody. I just have a couple comments I wanted to make. Uh, first, I want to give kudos to the council for your uh, del deliberations on the preferred land use maps. Um, there was a lot of concern with how the maps and land use changes would be approved in council chambers, and I know I speak not only for myself when I say that I have been pleasantly surprised overall with the outcome this far. We can't all get exactly what we want, but the council did a good job in listening to the public and attempting to find middle ground. There have been some questionable motions and suggestions made by the council, however. Sever several of you come to the meetings very prepared, and there is no mistake in the motions presented or the direction you wish to pull the discussion. I suggest to avoid any suspicion, confusion, or surprise reaction from the public. Do your best to avoid any further surprise motion without explicit explanation, especially regarding controversial subject matter such as land use and development. Secondly, I personally, I really enjoy discussing what's going on in City Hall and throughout the city, um, especially with folks uh, you know, that I respect in the community. I learn just as much and gain just as much perspective in these chats as I do with sitting in these meetings. Friday the 20th, I was having a phone chat with a community member I highly regard. He asked if I had read the staff report yet for the Water Commission meeting that was to happen last Tuesday. I printed out the agenda and the staff report and took it with me camping with my kids over the fall break. The staff report was eye-opening to say the least, but more honestly, it was alarming. I cut my trip short so I could be at the Water Commission meeting in person. I had to see the presentation and hear it for myself. I urged the council to begin putting serious efforts into scrutinizing and auditing the Ventura Water Pure project. This was never a popular project, and let's be honest, most Venturans don't even know what it is. Now Ventura Water staff is proposing a budget increase of over 180 million, and that does not even include annual cost increase estimates of six plus percent and debt servicing. Most of the budget increases are due to costs that were not accounted for, which is essentially stuff they didn't know they needed or they were unprepared for when they asked for the first 375 million. It seems to me that the project management is in over their heads. Two weeks ago, the council hammered Chief Indaya for $6 million temporary fire station, and as stated by one of the commission members last week at the meeting, the Ventura Water Pier project has the potential to balloon to $1 billion with these cost increases and debt servicing. To be very clear, the proposed increase of, to $556 million is for phase one only. Staff nor anyone else knows how we're going to pay for it, and what about the completion of phase two? Um, had a little bit more, but I think you guys get the point. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it very much. Scott McCarty, followed by Zach Plan. Honorable Mayor and City Council members, in the 14 years I've lived in the city of Ventura, the single most impactful event I've witnessed is the Thomas Fire. Just last week at the Water Commission meeting, I became aware of what will likely be the second most impactful event in the last decade and a half. At that meeting, the Ventura Water Pier Director presented updated cost estimates for that project to the Water Commission. Astoundingly, the costs have increased by approximately 50%, from $375 million to $557 million. That represents an unfunded, if I'm not mistaken, increase of $182 million. I was shocked to learn that the reason for a significant portion of the increase in the, of the costs, for the costs that were, were simply unaccounted for, in the words of the program director, we just missed it. 
This development was presented in a low-key, almost offhand manner, which surprised me, given that we'll have tremendous ramifications for water rate payers. The total amount of this cost increase should have, presented, should have been presented to the Water Commission with flashing red lights, not buried in the middle of a PowerPoint slide deck. Will our water rates double or triple due to the omitted and underestimated cost line items for this project? We just don't know yet. It is likely, however, that the ripple effects to ratepayers will be significant. The approval phase of this project is complete. The construction phase of this project is undergoing. The next phase for this project will likely be damage control. I'm a longtime follower and proponent of the science behind the Ventura Water Pure project. As such, I stand before you to offer you my assistance in mitigating the fallout from the recent less than sanguine news regarding this project's financial status. I'm ready to help if needed. Thank you. Zach Vaughn, followed by Spencer Noren, followed by Jonathan Pooh. Hi, Council. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak. Um, I've lived in Ventura my whole life. I've never come to one of these before, and uh, i got to thank my wife for letting me stay this long. I didn't know it was going to be this long. Um, this is early. Okay. <laughs> it's even better to know. Um, I grew up on Elmhurst Street, uh, lived in Pierpont with my wife. We've also lived in downtown, and now we live in Midtown. Uh, we're small business owners, invested a good portion of our savings in uh, opening a smoothie shop uh, on Main Street. Um, what motivated me to come here was a video I saw recently of uh, a proposed five-story um, apartment building on uh, the Telegraph Corridor. Uh, there was uh, an instance where Trader Joe's was brought up as infrastructure that may support that development. That Trader Joe's currently, my wife shops there, and so do I. They have an employee by the door waiting to make sure that no one steals handbags because people are stealing handbags from customers. They're not stealing from Trader Joe's, they're stealing from the customers there. After living in downtown, we made it about six months and then had both of our cars broken into in different parking lots. Um, the crime in Ventura and the homelessness, it wears on us. Um, and it's what motivated me to come here tonight. Uh, I've seen all these projects come up, um, these multifamily unit developments, and it seems like they just attract more crime and more homelessness. I'm not saying that the growth needs to stop, but I am requesting that we please dedicate resources to solving homelessness and crime before we start building more and more of these projects that seem to attract more and more crime. Um, and uh, that's, and one more final but related note, um, the two multifamily units across from Ventura High School, um, one of them looks nice and the other one looks like what they term as affordable housing, and one came up for $650,000 uh, for sale. That's about $50,000 to $100,000 less than cheap homes in Ventura, and it doesn't feel affordable to kids like my wife and I, so thank you. Spencer Noren, followed by Jonathan Pooh. Thank you, Michael. Mayor, Council, VPD, and translation in the back. I want to go farther by starting off by welcoming Ashley and Zach for this council meeting 
No one mentioned, too, the name of the smoothie shop is Edenic. How did I do, Ashley? Good? Yes. And Ashley is also expecting a child very soon. So not only did she sit here for four and a half hours in this meeting, she sat here and endeared all of that. And they're here. Thank you. Small business owners, community involvement, Ventura Forward. Let's go. I want to go back to my public comment, though, in request of moving public comment to the beginning of the meeting. This perfect couple brought the stage for me. They maybe could have gone home three and a half hours ago. We've got to put the public first. Maybe limit public comment in the beginning of the meeting to 60 seconds or 90 seconds. So if people want to get that meeting going a lot and we're worried about starting it, right, we can get people that want to see something quick, get them home. And for people like me who want to grind, we can give them another opportunity to speak up, public communication. And I don't want to put too much work on Michael, but maybe if you like gave 60 seconds in the beginning, you could get two minutes later, opposed to not allowing me to speak twice. You know I like to speak twice. And maybe more. But more importantly, there's serious stuff going on and getting more public involvement. A great discussion going on about Ventura. And a few things that are coming up again, it's about safety. It's just straight up, how can we create new things? I think public restrooms is the one way we can really hit it on the head, making more public restrooms available in the River Bottoms area. I don't want to promote people using that area, but let's admit it. Hundreds of people are living in our river bottoms. Where are they going in the bathroom? In the river. That's not good. I was at the harbor today. The bird estuary off of Spinnaker, you go in a little unlocked gate. There's people coming all day, every day. You know, we've got a lot of double standards going on in this town when it comes to following the law and following the rules and then seeing vagrancy and people from out of town coming in and making the change. And people are frustrated. You know, again, having Zach here, just to drop his name again, but he spoke publicly so I can, you can see what it wears on people, you know? And that's hundreds of people coming through every day not being able to come to these meetings. So I just wanted to really hit it on the head about how the community is looking for new leadership to hit some of these dilapidated areas. McGrath State Beach, Foster Park, the pier. Oh, let's talk about the RV that was driven along the promenade this last week. That cannot be brought up. That is situation, we gotta get bollards in some places. Bollards may be off of, um, excuse me, Crooked Palm Row. There's Cro Crooked Palm Drive. I took my car off of and could have driven on the Ventura River Trail. So there's a lot of safety issues that we get involved in that we're not hyper-focused on. If you need my help, I'm always available. Thank you, Mayor. Jonathan Pooh, followed by Glenn Overly. Good evening, Council. Uh, Assembly Bill 992 uh, pertains to social media and the Brown Act. There's a lot of talk about Brown Act in here, so I want to bring this up. Uh, this one's in quotes, discuss among themselves. This means communication made, posted, or shared on an internet-based social media platform between members of a legislative body, including comments, or use of digital icons that express reaction to communications made by other members of the legislative body. Now, the reason I'm mentioning this, because I know of many instances from council members here in chambers that one might be able to argue that they might be in violation of this part of the Brown Act. All right, I got screenshots. So if you go back and delete it, I got it all. Um, Kind of to go into that too is, you know, that's a public forum. Like, how does this get tracked, right? Is, th is this going to be in like a public records request when I send this in? Because if it's not, it should be. 
you should be able to see all the reactions that they had because that's a way of communicating and it could be a violation according to Assembly Bill 992. Also, I want to remind uh, City Council that Main Street does go further down than downtown Ventura. Uh, there was a lot of discussion about Main Street moves about two weeks ago and the benefits it had for the downtown area. I want you to keep this in mind. There are businesses and parts of the town that weren't allotted City Street access upon request, my business being one of them. I also wanted to let the city manager know that I'm still waiting to hear from the city manager's office to reply to my email sent on October 10th, 2023 about blocked emails and resolving that, or are my emails still being blocked? Okay, and I, I did like the comment about the uh, delay for all the WebEx meeting or Zoom, whatever you decide to use, because let's not forget the biggest KKK chapter was here in Ventura County. That's a known fact in case you couldn't tell by some of the public comments that were trying to take place tonight. That's it, thank you. Next speaker is Glenn Overly. Glenn, you should be able to unmute yourself. Michael, can you hear me? We can. If anyone who has vacationed or visited Washington, D.C., I believe you'll appreciate my comments tonight. The U.S. National Park Service has many references to our nation's past. I was moved by the Lincoln Memorial in D.C. and find myself disappointed by the issues and words we are having to deal with in the calendar year 2023. Let me shift gears here. The last couple of meetings, there have been audio issues with WebEx. If this is an equipment issue, please purchase the equipment necessary to correct, or if not an equipment issue, please test the connections prior to the start of each meeting to make certain the audio is working properly. The visual aspects of WebEx has not been an issue, but the audio appears to be the weak link. I appreciate the efforts of council, city manager, city attorney, and our city's clerk's office. Those public speakers that speak about items outside the agenda parameters should not impact the rest of the public speakers. I am not certain what the issues are with WebEx, but can we please expedite a fix or change to a different platform? As a public speaker, to provide comments to council after council deliberations are complete is absolutely meaningless. This was exactly what happened at the GPAC meetings on several occasions. Please fix the issue so that the speakers are heard prior to council deliberations. As we know, timing is everything. Mr. Ayub and council, thanks for the shorter agendas and the extra meeting. I hope we continue with an extra meeting for the month or maybe even perhaps meet every Monday with less items on each agenda. That would be family friendly. More meetings, smaller agendas. Just a reminder for council, staff is paid, but citizens are not. Citizens elect council and pay taxes for staff salary. More meetings with less topics. That's what's friendly to the public. Thank you for your time. And our final speaker this evening is Trevor Gotsman. Trevor, you should be able to unmute yourself.
Trevor, you should be able to unmute yourself. Good evening, City Council. I hope you can hear me. We can. I am calling in in the dark from locked house. I can barely hear myself speaking, but I've been holding this phone to my ear all night. And I do commend Mr. Handy for commending the, the council for doing the job. And I hope we can include more and more community members. My point tonight, I want to bring up two just a phrase, R and R, not rest and relaxation. That will come when we've done our job. Respect and responsibility. I just, respect is acknowledging first and foremost, acknowledging what is around us and then appreciating it. That is respect. We miss a lot. We have, we're blinders. We don't see but this is what the community is about, when we can show up with each other and be pointed in the right or the wrong direction and we can correct each other. I was accosted the other night. I happened to be, my dog happened to be walking me as typical. And I put him on a leash once he got too attached to the smells of the cheeseburgers and the hot dogs that were being cooked at the, at the Halloween party with the kids. I then laid on the grass and watched the boys play soccer, our future world champions. And then American football came along and they started throwing. After the party left, as I said, I was accosted. And this gentleman came up to me. And he, he really wanted to give me a tough time, but I had to put my head into his mouth and tell him, speak into my ear, I cannot hear what you are saying. I cannot hear. And he said, what am I doing here? Why am I here, etc." Well, I understand his concern. And I, we ultimately, after a 20, 30 minutes conversation, came to terms with each other. And his name, Jacob Aguilar, was concerned that I was a bad guy looking for the wrong reasons. But that was in his own mind or his wife's mind. The kids were sort of like, they wanted to approach me. They saw my appreciation. And by the end of that evening, we now have a community member who would not call that Darren Schindler or one of our fire chiefs or somebody else to come and help him because he had the courage to come and ask me, what was I doing? And I as I said, we need to speak truth to power. We need to be ourselves. We need to be who we are and encourage every one of us to be that. And this is how we get to the R&R, where we can rest and relax. And have a wonderful evening, everybody. I will now unlock the door and let these people in. Thank you. That concludes our public comment for public communications. Um, do you want to respond to it? <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, Mr. Poo, I'll re, uh, look for that email. Thank you for providing the date, and I'll make sure you get a response. And to the speakers on the Ventura Water Pier project, that item will be bought, brought before the council November 13th for an update. There are many decision points and options ahead, and we're looking forward to, to sharing that information with you and having a, a conversation. That's all. Thank you. With that, meeting adjourned. <laughs>